This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right by. Stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's Game Day. Escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look at him go. There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. Fred Hubner joining the guys from the best of 1000. I like to call the show, show the old man and the two millennials. <laughs> uh, the station calls it Chicago's Game Day here on ESPN 1000. It's a, wor- a working title, Fred. Yeah, 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 it's a working title. 312-332-3776. That's the number. We'll have a chance to talk with David DeJesus uh, at 10 o'clock. He does. He's fortunate that the game last night was not on NBC Sports Chicago. This, thus, he didn't have to sit around and wait for the game to end. 14 innings as the Cubs get a 7-1 to win. Also... 11 o'clock, James Herbert. Is that how you say his name? Yep. James yep. Herbert from CBS NBA uh, Reporter. Uh, you can find him at Outside the NBA on Twitter. And Jesse's going to join us at 1130 because he needed time. He's still getting accolades from his uh, Tommy LaStella um, oh, article geez. from yesterday. So oh, he's, man, yeah. I think he's has, he actually has to go through everywhere and sign copies of the article and then pass them along and says, would you like a copy of my book? Uh, so he'll do that, too. That doesn't surprise me, Fred, because on Monday, when Abdal and I were in for Waddle and Sylvia Memorial Day, Jesse yeah. had to sneak in at the end of his Cubs hit, a prediction for the NBA Finals. And his rationale for picking the Warriors was, I kind of know Steve Kerr, so I'm going with the Warriors. <laughs> he, he, just dro- he drops his humble brag right in there yeah. at the no, end. But first, he was like, oh, you know, it's LeBron. I think if they get a game, it's this one, so I like the Cavs. But, you know, I know Steve Kerr kind of, so I'll go with the Warriors. I don't know if you guys know yeah. this. Um, nothing about Jesse, but <laughs> Steve Kerr uh, used to be when he was playing. He loved coming on radio talk shows oh, yeah. because when he was a younger guy, when he was a kid, he used to call radio talk shows all the time. Sports radio talk shows. He was a big l- sports radio fan, listener and stuff like that. So yeah, wherever he goes, I'm sure he listens to KNBR out in the Bay Area and stuff yeah. like that. And he listened to a lot. And uh, so he was. So Jesse does know him a little bit because he probably booked him like dozens of times. Absolutely. And if you listen to Steve Kerr enough talk in the media, you understand that he is well aware of what we are saying as well. Yeah. So it's interesting. And, and Fred, don't undersell the 10 o'clock hour. Not only do we have David DeJesus coming on, we have your MLB notebook. Yes, we do, and, and it is it is busting at the seams, uh, and baseball seams, you don't get it? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right, like a baseball. Yeah, yeah. yeah we uh-huh. got it. Uh, as long as the seams are the correct size, so then the pitchers still can actually throw the ball and not have the ball get hit over their uh, yeah. the fences. MLB uh, can't figure that out either. So. Also, Fred, at, at 1045, Abdallah and I need your ear. I we need, need your, your, your musical ear. Okay. Uh, we are going to play you snippets of Kanye's new album, and uh-huh. we want to get your review of Kanye's album. That's probably we'll all that. you could play is snippets. Yeah, right? yeah, it was it was difficult to edit through and find stuff that we could actually play. But at ten forty five, we'd like your uh, musical interest in ear. Yeah, but, I don't think I'm out of place by saying you've been around a while, Fred, yeah, no, uh, no, no, and no, you've no, seen definitely. a lot, you've heard a lot. Uh, you are you do like 
music. I do like music. A lot. So you went to, you're one of the uh, four people that went to go see Todd Rundgren. You wouldn't believe how crowded it was. I might have been been one of the youngest people over there, believe it or not. It was pretty amazing. So we need your musical ear uh, to tell us, to rate the the Kanye album. Okay, cool. It's not long. It's only seven tracks. Does he talk much about his uh, mother-in-law in in, in there? Mm, No, No, I don't think so. Okay. No, No. That's surprising. He mentions his sisters in law. Yeah. In laws. Yeah. Sisters in law? Yeah. yeah. Sisters in law. Yeah. I wonder if he mentions uh, Tristan Thompson. He, he does. He yeah. was going yeah. after him. Tristan, he does. Tristan gets Tristan. mentioned. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I believe there is a Cubs mention as well. There is a Cubs <laughs> mention. Yeah. yeah. So. Very interesting. Right. Interesting. So we'll, we'll do that at 1045. See, Kanye talks baseball. There yeah. you go. Now Fred's in. Actually, he, maybe he should be in my MLB notebook. Um, couple things before we get to the Cub game, before we get to tonight's basketball game, before we get to James Shields saying, you know, he understands the rebuild, but he like to win some games. What are you mad at? I, actually, there's a couple <laughs> things I'm mad at. I agreed with you guys completely on the hockey call. Okay? It's game two of a series. It's not game four of a series. And the guy's saying, good night, you know, good morning, good afternoon, good night. It's just one win. You're up two to one. Do you have it there? Is it on the screen for you? Yeah. Because it's fantastic. So last night, if you weren't aware, uh, the Stanley Cup final, the Capitals win. They go up two games to one. Eric's going to have to play it. All right. Does yeah. Eric have that yeah. audio? Yeah, listen and to this. And a puck to Marchessault to nobody. And it'll leave the zone. And that's it. Good morning. Good afternoon. And good night, Vegas. Washington is two wins away from the Stanley Cup. They defeat the Knights 3-1 to one here at Capital One Arena. Now, now, I know the people in Washington are excited about a team, about any kind of championship. Well, they've okay? never been up in a Stanley Cup before. This yeah. is the first time they've had a lead in a Stanley Cup. And if anybody knows anything about Vegas, you don't say goodnight to Vegas. No, you always no. Say good morning. Vegas doesn't sleep. You yeah. always say good morning to Vegas because yeah. that's usually when you're coming in from the night before. Uh-huh. He... Absolute. I don't know what his name is, but uh, and my apologies. Capitals uh, voice. Ca- voice of the Caps. Yeah. Cat the Cat Man. Voice of the Caps. Wrote that. He, Hands he down has been say as soon as he knew the matchup was going to be the Caps in Vegas was like good morning, good afternoon, good night, Vegas. But this you use that as your your clincher. Well, yes. You win the cup, you use that. You so don't use that for games. You don't even, it's a baseball thing. Okay, yeah. it's a baseball thing where yeah. a pitcher throws three pitches, strike yep. one, strike two, strike three, you know, good morning, good afternoon, good night. That's what it is. It's a baseball thing. I've actually never heard it at the end of any game. Any no, game. that's a good point. I've never heard that at, at, at any game. And as, as Adam pointed out, the reason the show is called The Old Man and the Two Millennials, I've been around for a while. I've never, ever, <laughs> Jack Brickhouse never said good morning, good yeah. afternoon, good night as the Cubs won a game back in the 60s. I have then no again, problem. they didn't win a lot. But. If that's your final call when, if the Caps win the Stanley Cup, if that's your final call, great. I'm glad you wrote that out. That's, that's clever. I get it. But you, you've, now you've jinxed it. Like, now it's over. Yeah, it didn't make any sense to do it for game two of a, of a seven-game series, or game three of a seven-game series, but their second win. That's one thing. The other one is, since, since you asked me what I was aggravated about, um, and Just this get it even, out now, Fred. Just do it right this now. This is an aggravation. This is kind of like the whole broadcast industry, the old, the whole play-by-play industry. The Cubs game was on Fox yesterday. Yeah. This is the second week in a row that a better game was on, but we watched the Cubs. Now, obviously, I understand Cub fans. You want to see the Cubs. You don't want to see the other game. That's fine. The other game was Washington and Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two teams battling for the top spot. Instead, 
you know, Chicago area had to watch the Cubs, which is fine, against a horrible Mets team. An absolutely brutal Mets team. A Mets team that was fortunate to score one run, and that was on a homer by Conforto. They got nothing else in, in the whole game, okay? Um, so we get the second, really, broadcasting team. And on that team is John Smoltz, who I'm a fan of, but I got a problem with him, too. <laughs> and Joe Davis. You guys yeah. know Joe Davis? Uh, we do know Joe Davis, Yeah, we Davis, do know Joe actually. Davis, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you got a problem Dodgers. with Joe Davis? We, we, uh, we, we're somewhat... Uh, I think Fred is surprised yeah. that we know no, who Joe Davis know Jay- is. We, we, uh, I'm surprised you, you know be, Joe Davis. Before you speak uh, negatively about Joe Davis, you yeah. know that he's like best friends with Adam Amin? No, thus, I did not know that. Thus, we are friends through yeah. friend. And if you come after my people's people, you're coming after my people. All right, friend. what's the problem with Joe Davis? A nice guy, friend of the Black and Abdallah show, has come on many <laughs> times. What's your problem with Joe Davis? Joe Davis does a great job broadcasting baseball. But? But he is, he joins the long line of generic baseball announcers. Oh, sure, right. He is a, there's no nothing that stands out about him. He just calls the game. Isn't that what you want, though? No, not really. I mean, what you want... Baseball needs a little flair. You, it needs something. He's not going to give you any of it. But he's a na- if he's not calling a Dodgers game, which is think- what he does normally, isn't that... Don't you... Don't, you don't want the, the homer. You want generic... I, baseball guy and let Smoltz shine. Matt Vaskersian calls national games and he's always got a flair, no matter where which game he's calling, even on national games. But I feel like if you're the play by play guy and you've got someone with you of a John Smoltz caliber, if you've got someone of a of like A Rod with you as your color analyst, you are the generic one and you let those guys shine. That's what you're supposed to do. Generic is, is the word I'm using. He doesn't add anything. He's just—it's a TV broadcast, and oh, for a TV no. broadcast, he's—he's not—he's just not adding anything. I hope Amin's not listening. Everyone's he's not. got their own opinions. I mean, everyone's got their own opinions, and we'll get a chance to you know critique Adam Amin doing football when he does Bears preseason games. Yeah, but he's going to be great. I'm because sure we will. already know he's good. We already at know football. he's good at football because he does the Friday night uh, college football games. Yeah, well, again, and, the, would, and he does NFL games too. Does he do NFL games? Yeah, on, yeah, uh, on radio. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Come on, Freddie's done Bears games before. So anyway, you want to come after more of our friends? What do you got? You well, got a problem with Fredell? John Smoltz. Well, you got something against Ray Flores? Let's <laughs> yeah, do yeah. this. No, yeah. Ray, Ray, Ray Flores. Sweet Ray Ray. Sweet Ray stopped by here on Friday the other day. It was very nice. Hey, bro. Nice hey, to bro see hey, bro. Hey, bro. You he want to get a drink, bro? Hey, bro. He, he had shoes on that were probably more expensive than the rest of his apparel. Yeah, but man, he was out in. Uh, what did he have on? He had uh, the Jordans with the patent leather. leather. Which, yeah. but the black oh, the ones. white ones with the black. Yeah, no, they weren't. Well, they, they were, were they were black and black. black. They oh! were the graduation ones. Oh, the he was wearing the graduation on the street. Yeah, Ooh, at night. Yeah, Ooh, someone's gonna get robbed for their shoes. He was heading over uh, heading over to the club at the uh, Hubbard Inn. I guess it yeah. was Key Club, bro. Key yeah. Club, bro. There you go. Key Club. You want bottle service, bro? <laughs> bottle service. I'll get you bottle service. Took a nice friend. Here, like we don't want bottle <laughs> no, service, Ray. I gotta go, Ray. So. I'm, I'm heading back. I gotta. He's wearing the graduation. But anyway. John Smoltz, if you watched any of the game last night, and again, I know some people, when you go to establishments, you can't find the game. We talked about that a little bit last week. And sometimes you don't have the sound on at games, which is fine. I usually don't when I'm watching a lot of baseball games. Yesterday with Joe Davis calling in, I wish I didn't. Um, So anyway, um, John Smoltz must have said every inning. You know that we we got to change this thing where we put men on base uh, when we get to the eleventh inning or the uh, to tenth inning because uh, you can't just keep going deep into games and uh, too using too many pitchers and this 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 and this. Then two innings later, he turns to Joe Davis. I take it that he turns because all he did was hear him, and it, there was silence for a minute. And then all of a sudden, you heard 
So, Joe, what do you think about the uh, extra inning plan now? Because they as they were going to the 13th right. inning. Uh, you know, John Smoltz does not like extra innings. And I posted that yesterday, last night. And he said, man, John Smoltz doesn't like extra innings. He's got a schedule to keep. Well, people say he's got a schedule to keep. You know, he's a golfer. Maybe he's got a tea time the next day. Other people, you know, he's came up dinner. with... He's in New York. With other, with other comments. And I wanted to know from people that watch the game, Cub fans that sat around and watched the game yesterday for 14 innings, your thoughts on that whole situation. Because yesterday, Joe Madden decided, I got a couple other guys in the bullpen. But I'm going to keep this guy Farrell out there. And it, it turned out great for him. He was pitching well. No, he was pitching real well. And, but he also didn't bring in Javi Baez at times when he could have. Right. When Farrell was pinch hitting, was, Farrell was hitting with actually men on base. Right. I, I think that, that, and I don't know if he explained this in the post game because I, I just heard the couple bites that we played last hour, is when you have the night game into the day game, you're giving guys rest to then start them in the day game. Right? Is that, that's usually what Madden does. Madden tries not to use guys so he can save them because he's the big proponent of the rest. And it'll, it'll also be interesting to see who catches today. But you know, Lester. Right. But you know who's pitching. Yeah. It's, it's Lester today. So there's a good chance Lester will go six or seven innings. Mm -hmm. He only need to use one or two bullpen guys. Plus, it's the Mets. Again, it's the Mets he's I understand that. So, could, Fred, could it be a theory that when you get to a certain point in an extra inning game that you just let it ride it out? You could, but right? I like, Like, is that... Because we've heard Jed Hoyer on this station mm-hmm. say before how much extra inning games mess up the rest of their week oh, going yeah. forward. I know. So, could there be an element of... Uh, strategy, philosophy, that it's like once we get to the bottom of the 12th or once we get to the 12th at all, yeah. we're just, this is who's in the game, and if we win or lose, that's just how the cookie crumbles. It could be. It could be. They they have Monday off, okay? Right. They play today. They have Monday off. I understand sometimes. You know, and we Murph and I sat here yesterday we, with Jesse, and we were com- not complaining, but talking about how many games their pitchers, they're out of the bullpen and pitched, 25, 26, 23, 25. Mm-hmm. They've, they've gotten a lot of appearances already. You multiply that by three, and all of a sudden they're at 70. How many guys can you have making 75 appearances in games? Usually one or two guys. You're not going to get six or seven, and that's where the Cubs are at right now. The, the good thing was Luke uh, Farrell was really good. Yes. Luke Farrell was really good. It was great to see him go on out there. I liked Smoltz's comparison. He compared him to, he goes, he reminds me a lot of Kyle Hendricks. And he actually did, I thought. And he throws a little harder than Hendricks, and, and Smoltz made sure to point that out. Smoltz does a great, great job. I just was surprised how much he hates it. And how much as a guy that's played the game of baseball really wants this extra inning thing. He said it in the 10th. He said, we got to change this. And it's got, well, you he's, know. he's got a point. And I think that sitting with two uh, soccer fans, I'm wondering if uh, Fred, who's been around for a while, uh, would be open to this change. I don't like the idea of putting someone on second base in the in the 12th or right. 13th. I don't like that. I think you should have to get on base yourself, and you should have to manufacture your own runs. However, I think that baseball should consider implementing a tie situation. Why can't there be ties? Why can't you give them you give I twelve agree. innings, yeah. and then at the end of twelve, if that's enough, that's a, a third of a baseball game. That's an extra three innings. If you can't get it done in, tw- in an extra three innings, game's over. Sorry, game's you, tied. 
You, that's how it ends. It, it benefits your bullpen. It benefits your, your players for the next day. As Jed Hoyer has said on the station, as Chris pointed out, it, it can mess you up for weeks having a 14 or 15 inning game. So why not just end it? Does it really matter in the long run if you, if you just implement a tie system? No, because they would figure out exactly you know, how to. How right, to you, go would, with, you would go by points yeah. to make the playoffs, which or percentages. We, we could all get yeah. our heads around that. I mean, I don't know. I Fred watching and listening to Smoltz say that last night. Were you thinking? Do they need to do something? Because I think no, it's, I was uh, thinking that they don't. They right. just have to. They just continue the way baseball's been doing it forever. I understand changing things, and I'm I'm all for changing. You know. Pitches, you know, calling pitches of the plate. Last night, watching the game, I can't tell you how many times a pitch was thrown and a K popped up on the screen, right. and the umpire called it a ball. Right. I mean, it was constant. It was almost every pitch. And then there's a pitch two feet, you know, foot outside called a strike, and Wilson Contreras doesn't understand, and rightfully so, because he it happened to him like four times in the game yesterday, where there was a pitch outside of the strike zone called a strike. So I'm all for changes in baseball, but I don't think you can change a game like that by all of a sudden. I understand doing it in the minor leagues because people come to the minor leagues to have fun. They don't know most of the players. Oh, and it's a de- you're there to to develop. You're not there to right. win games. That right. doesn't matter. Right. So it doesn't matter at all. So you want to do it to end the games in, in the minors quick? Fine, because the people have been there. They've seen uh, you know the races. They've seen everything that they do between innings at you know in Schaumburg and at all the other places. At probably at the new Chicago Dogs, they do things between innings to keep the fans entertained. Fine, but I understand doing it for that. But for Major League Baseball. I just don't think it makes sense. But I see, I agree with Fred. I don't think they need to do something. I think it's just something that everyone jumps on board to complain about because they have nothing else to kind of analyze from the game. It's easy. It's an easy target. Oh, well, the games are too long. Oh, we got to do something. I mean, if you want to solve the problem, just allow teams that play past like the 10th inning to add a roster spot the next day or, or something like that. Whatever it would be to fix Jed Hoyer's complaint and GM's complaints that it messes the team up going forward. Maybe for the next two games, you can add additional bodies yeah. to the team. That's fine with That'd me. Fine. But come on, it, 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 but it's really that bad you, of a If a I thing? told fans that, okay, you could play 16 innings and win, but it's going to screw your team up, it's going to screw up their sleep schedule, it's going to screw up the bullpen, guys well, are going to be tired. But here's and the it's, thing. Oh, hold on, hold on. It's going to mess them oh. up for weeks, and it's going to cost them two or three games because they don't have enough bullpen arms and pitchers are extended and all that kind of stuff. Or you could just end in a tie, and you get those wins, and nobody's tired, and your team moves on just as is. I guarantee you fans would say, I'd like more wins. Okay, but you started off by saying sleep schedule and the roster and all this stuff. As a team... You control your decisions. So if you want to, as we were talking about, maybe Joe Madden was just rolling out there with what he had because he didn't want to mess up today's lineup, then that's fine. Do that. If you are maybe Abdallah's baseball team, the worst team in the league, no, comes into a game and you're you're in the uh, 14th inning and you say, you know what? We're worried about sleep. We're sending out a reliever who we know will get shelled. And we're going to throw this game because we want to keep our team on schedule for the games coming up in the next week. Your team can implement that strategy. Oh, I'll You're more than I think they should to. throw games. I the think Adam they should Abdallah absolutely go The worst there. team in Major League Baseball. You're more than welcome to do that. Look, you get to the 13th or 14th inning, I absolutely think Madden should just go out there and be like, just give just give something up. I don't care. See, I, think, see that, I don't think that that... See, at the end of the year, though, and I know you guys say you don't think it matters, but at 100, with 162 games... Um, 
teams have not made the playoffs by one game. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, every game really does matter. Well, I that know could be a game that they lost after a 16-inning game that I they know. could have just ended in a tie. But you talk about sleep. Think about it. They played Sunday night. Yeah. They played Monday afternoon. They got in at 345 to Pittsburgh, and right. they played a noon game. At least okay. today they're staying in the same city right. with no travel. Exactly. They were in bed by one thirty, two o'clock, the right. latest, I would think, unless right. they went out partying. Well, Bobby, I mean, maybe, you know, after, yeah, after but, a big home you run. You know, it, the way uh, today's <laughs> athletes are, like, that's not really as much of a thing as it used to be. So, like, I would assume partying, that... you mean? After, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they, like yeah. guys, professional athletes are so worried about taking care of their bodies now and sleep. That, like, chances are they all got back to the hotel at a, a normal time, and they have a day game today. So it would be, like, the same type of turnaround. I know the game yesterday started a little earlier. Right. So adding in all the innings, they weren't expecting to be out that late, but I'm sure they'll be okay. I'm wondering I, how late. Lester, I just think, I'm sure Lester didn't even stay that I long. Think you're oh, just Lester being, was probably home. Yeah, yeah, he was probably back at the hotel. Yeah, right. Yeah, halfway through the game. You're just being a little out of control with this. They need to have ties. I'm not. I'm trying to look. Smoltz is John Smoltz is saying that they need to make drastic changes by putting on a runner at second base to start extra innings. That's ridiculous. I'm saying just end the game. Three, Don't one, just two. hand somebody a win. Just end it. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. You can call about the extra innings thing. Your thoughts on Smoltz's opinion or Adams' opinion, and also your thoughts on Joe Davis. Um, oh, no, leave Joe alone! Come let's, on. Let's go to Shorewood and Ben. <laughs> ben, you're on ESPN one thousand. What's going on? Hey, morning, boys. How you doing? Ben. Doing well, Ben. All right. So I told your guy on the phone. Why don't we go to softball rules after the twelfth inning? Start with a one and one count. When you hit a foul ball on two strikes. You're out. It's not out of the question if you're gonna if you're gonna put a guy on second base, you know, to start the inning. The softball rules well, not, are not not even put a guy in second base. Just do the softball rules. At, at twelve innings, say everyone starts with a one to one count. And you get the two strikes. You hit a foul ball. You're out. Move on to the next guy. That would mean speed up the game. Yeah, it would. Ben, appreciate the call. Baseball should just do that anyway. Get rid of the four balls, three strikes, and you just make it three and two. And then all of a sudden, boom, you have less pitches. Because I've got numbers yeah. here from uh, Jason Stark from The Athletic, uh, some amazing numbers about what happened in the month of May. So I was going to get to those a little bit later on in the um, MLB notebook. So What, what about the idea um, that was floated out there a couple weeks ago about like having a star player mm-hmm. where you designate a player who can return back to bat at any point and then go back to his normal spot in the lineup? So say uh, the... Six, seven, eighth hitters are coming up, and you say, Mike Trout, you're going to bat for the eighth hitter, but then you will also go back to your spot in the lineup if the game continues on. Yeah. You have one, you can make you can one move. Once. You can make one move, and okay. you can send Chris Bryant up to the dish no matter where you are in the lineup, and he doesn't get removed from the game, nor does the player he's batting for get removed, but he can go back to that slot if the game continues. It would That's add a, some. I mean, it would add some interesting strategy to the called, game. It's called it? the Stugats. That was brought yeah. up too. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about that. When we come back. It is Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner. We've just gotten started. We'll talk some NBA a little bit later on in the show. And I know I got two NBA guys who are just chopping at the bit to talk more about the NBA in Game Two. You'll hear it right here tonight on ESPN One Thousand. We'll be right back after this. This is Chicago's Game Day. Turns on this one. High drive left field. That ball is long gone. Javi 
Baez, a pinch hit, two-run home run. The Cubs have busted it wide open in the 14th. Majestic. This is Chicago's game day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Majestic. It's a great call. <laughs> Much better than calling your shot at the end of game three of the Stanley Cup final. Well, that's true. Yeah, we got to admit that. Um, welcome back in. Fred Hubner, along with Chris Black, Adam Abdallah. We're here till noon. We'll talk some NBA around 11 o'clock. We'll talk some NBA in just a little bit. Also, David DeHaze, who's from NBC Sports Chicago, will join us at 10. Jesse at... Uh, 11.30, and my MLB notebook at 10.30. I did that completely out of order, so hopefully you can figure it all out. Um, let's see here. The Cubs going to win yesterday. Adam, you brought up the numbers as I was writing them down upstairs. 17 men left on base, 6 for 17 with runners in scoring position. They struck out 24 times yesterday. There was a stat on the screen yesterday. At one point, they were 0 for 5 with 5 strikeouts with the bases loaded. Well, and Joe Madden talked about it at the end of the game, saying that they were chasing. They need to move the ball more. And you you notice that the Cubs have a tendency against good pitching to yep. swing for the fences instead of trying to manufacture runs because they think that's the only way that they can get runs on the board. And good teams find ways to manufacture runs. And when you get to the playoffs, because it's early, and we all assume the Cubs are going to make, make the playoffs. Best team ever. Best team ever. You're facing good pitching every night. So yeah. you have to find ways to manufacture runs. And leaving guys on base, especially in scoring position, is a concern for this team moving forward. Yeah, here's what Madden said after the 14-inning uh, win last night. We had so many opportunities. And the rum is good. But, my God, we just got to move the ball. We just had, we started chasing again tonight. We had not been chasing. We started chasing again tonight. And that's the result. 14 innings? What was it 14 innings? Um, two outstanding performances, Montgomery and Luke. Unbelievably wonderful. Um, Montgomery, that's two in a row, uh, kind of dominant. And Luke, having to go out there every time knowing that they can't score at all, that's not easy to do. So give him a, a ton of credit. Uh, once again, uh, an entire team pretty much involved in the win. Uh, interesting night. I mean, listen, obviously I'm a lot chippier and happier right now because we won. Had we not won that game with all those opportunities, it would have been difficult. However, we did win. And you got to, you know, play with that hand. Now, Luke Farrell's getting a lot of the talk, but he also mentioned Montgomery there. Montgomery getting another start because Darvish is on the disabled list. Montgomery, six innings, two hits, a run, a walk, four strikeouts. Uh, Cub fans, is that changing your mind at all that maybe the Cubs should have just gone to Montgomery as a starter and then maybe they wouldn't have had to get Tyler Chatwood in the offseason? They could have saved themselves 37 or $38 million. They, yeah. probably, they probably would still brought Darvish over. Right. But you yeah. would have had that Montgomery as your number five instead of a Chatwood. I understand they like him as a guy they can use as a starter and also, you know, uh, a spot starter and also out of the pen. But Montgomery wants to start. He started two games and he's pitched really well. He gave up one homer yesterday. That was it in six innings. And how will he get one or two more starts before Darvish returns? Because that, I think that's what's interesting too. What will happen when Darvish is ready to go? And we don't even know when that is. We don't. So it could be. It could be a month. Yeah. It could be two starts. It could be one start. Right. You well, know, nothing we, came up on the MRI, so he's supposed to start throwing here soon. And yeah, well, I mean, why did it take three and a half days to get the MRI? Why uh, holiday? Well, then that's what Jesse told us, and I was like, "Hold on, you're a professional baseball team. You got wait because yeah. of a holiday." Yeah, Listen, man, people people need days off. They need days off. I oh, guess I don't know, man. Yeah. So, uh, Jason Hayward, by the way, oh, it's please. actually unbelievable. He was four for five yesterday. He mm -hmm. was. Yeah. 
In his last five games, he's 12 for 23. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cubs are trying to wrap up a, a road trip. They're five and one on this road trip. Um, dare I say, a lot of the a lot of those positives um, were helped by Jason Hayward. Yeah, I think you could say that. Yeah. I think it's uh, Hayward. I think it's Almora. I think uh, the bullpen's been pretty good as of late. Um, and Jason Hayward, I mean, Abdal and I are at dinner last night, and Fredell is sitting down the table. And in the middle of the conversation... Not even sitting with you guys? You guys no, sat away he, from him? Or? Well, he, uh, you would have thought that he was with us, but he yeah. ordered, like, he ordered a half an hour yeah. before well, everybody. They, they come up to the table. The, the waiter comes up to the table. He goes, uh, does anyone want to get uh, any apps or uh, drinks or can I get anything started? And Nick goes, I'll have a burger I'll for have my the meal. burger, please. <laughs> We're like, what, what are you doing? Do you not know how this works? It's like, have sea- you never a- eaten with other people before? It's a seafood restaurant. Okay. Mind you. He ordered okay. the burger. The, he, he had the burger. That's well, true. Some uh, seafood restaurants make good burgers. I'm sure yeah, it was yes. a great burger. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Um, so in the middle of conversation, unrelated to sport, Nick just chimes in with, Hayward is four for four tonight. <laughs> And Adam looks at him and goes, why are you telling me this? I don't care. He goes, use it on your show tomorrow. So, there Nick, you go. Uh, we used it so on the show. Uh, Jason Hayward is back. Yes, he for is. For all you Jason Hayward haters. But, yeah, uh, he's playing well, Friday. He's and, playing real well. And I think uh, that's a key to when this Cubs team struggles. It's the starting pitching and then the inconsistent lineup. Uh, and the guys in the lineup being Hayward, Russell. You're not sure what you're getting from those two specifically, and we've seen a little bit more as of late from both. I think because we criticize him as much as we do, uh, and we do, uh, for good reason, but when he ha- plays well, I think we should point that out too. Yeah, and for that, sure. Because, a good thing. Well, think about it. Everyone wants to point to what is the thing that Theo has messed up the biggest here with the Cubs, and it's the signing of Jason Hayward. Yeah. So when he plays well, I think you're right. We should acknowledge that he's playing well. All right, everybody. Everybody who's angry that Albert Amora isn't in the lineup every day. Me. Everybody that's mad at Joe Madden because he does what he wants to do. He's in the lineup. He's leading off. So shut up. <laughs> is that is that breaking news? You have the lineup here? I have the lineup here. Albert Almora is leading Good. off and playing center. Hayward and right. Baez at third today. Hitting third? Yeah. Ooh. At, and playing third. Yeah. Wilson Contreras is catching. Ian Happ is at first. Uh, Schwarber's in left, Russell at shortstop, Tommy LaStella at second base, and John Lester's pitching today. Okay, so he's resting both Bryant and Rizzo. Yes. Yeah, see, I understand what he wants to do. I understand. If I'm a manager, I rest one of those on, on, right. on a day, and then the next, the other one the next day. Because so you, you give all... one of them the day off today and then the other one the day off Tuesday? Yeah. Because they're off tomorrow? Right. I could see that. You know what I mean? If you want to give them days off, I, don't, I just never understand giving both your studs. And granted, over the last couple of years, they're 30 home run, 100 RBI guys. Giving them both off the same day. Well, he's not resting his stuff. His st- Javi's playing. Oh, that's true. That is true. Javier uh, is playing. We're going to get to some NBA talk. Let's, let's grab a call because this guy was nice enough to call. Let's do it. From the Bronx, it says, John. No! You're on ESPN 1008, John. Huh? John, what's up? Huh? What, what's up? What's <laughs> up? What's up? Listen, I'm here to talk about LeBron James, man, in the game one finals, you know? Forget about uh, it. You know, everybody's everybody's talking about, you know, him dishing off the ball and passing and he should have drove it to the hole, you know. It, it's not it's not the correct call. What he did was correct. He had, you know, he had Steph one-on-one, but as soon as he started to move towards the hole, you saw Draymond Green cut over to begin the double team. He had to dish it off. It was the best play to do. 
What the problem was, George Hill just didn't hit both free throws like he was supposed to. And then you had the blunder by J.R. Smith. Forget about it. It was just terrible after that. Once it went into overtime, you already knew they were losing. But, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a good game for them. They can come out game two strong, just like they did in game one. And I believe they'll take game uh, two as well. John, we appreciate the call. Thanks for hanging in there. John, my guy. Well, here's the thing. If you go to the final play where uh, LeBron passed to George Hill, 10 seconds left, and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, before LeBron gets the ball, have already switched. Uh-huh. So Steph Curry is guarding LeBron James. LeBron has the ball with his dribble still available to him at the top of the arc with Steph Curry guarding him. And his decision was not to make a dribble, not to make a move at Steph Curry. His decision was to pass the ball. So I get what John's saying, but LeBron didn't even try to make an offensive move before just passing the ball off. So I think you can give the critique and the the look at LeBron by saying, like, hey, man, you had the ability to take the game into your own hands and win it right there. You had the smaller player, a guy that most people who watch basketball don't think is a very good defender. I think he tries pretty hard for, for his abilities, Steph Curry as a defender. But you have the mismatch right there. LeBron and Steph at the top of the key with your dribble and you passed off. I mean, that, that goes back to LeBron James. He yeah. could have taken the last last shot. And if I know we don't have this cut because the final call of that shot, uh, when I was editing it on Friday, I, I edited it, it off. But before LeBron passes to George Hill, Van Gundy says to Mark Jackson, he's got to take the last shot, right? And Mark Jackson goes, he's going to take the last shot. And then he and then, passed. And then a, a, a beat goes by, and he passes the George Hill, then the foul and the missed free throw, and then J.R. Smith, and they lose in overtime. But, I mean, come on. Van Gundy and Mark Jackson both thought that LeBron was going to take the last shot there. The best player. You, you take the last shot. The best player of this generation should want the ball at the end. Should well, be demanding the ball at the end and not – like, everybody knows LeBron is taking that shot. And I don't I, – I can't explain why he did other than the – He'll he say made, the smart basketball the, play. The, the smart play. Right. Okay. Right. But I would also prefer to have the ball in my best player's hands as the clock ticks off. Because say even George Hill makes that second free throw, you still have 4.7 for the Warriors to come back up down the other end. So I think no matter what happens on that possession, the Cavs needed to take the last shot as time was winding off the clock. That's it. And if LeBron is at, the let's say, the same play, plays out and LeBron is the one shooting those free throws, does he miss the second free throw? I mean, he's not the know. best free throw yeah, shooter. He's not, that's true. Steps yeah. over the line every time. Oh. Well, and how about Draymond Green coming in, coming into the lane before the shot? Yeah. Um, Violations all over the place, Fred. Uh, we'll talk more NBA throughout the show. And also, if you're a fan of the UFC, right now, Ray's ears perked up. Ray, you're not eligible. Yes, bro. Yes, you're a bro. former former employee. All right, We've bro. got two pair of tickets to give away for UFC 225 coming up at the United Center on June 9th. Keep on listening. You can uh, check it out. Uh, tickets courtesy of Metro PCS. And uh, it's coming up June 9th at the UC. CM Punk is, uh, is going right. to be going to battle. So keep listening. We've got a couple pair of tickets. When we come back, something happened on this day a long time ago. You guys were born, though, so we can talk about that. Uh, we will we come back. 312-332-3776. It's Fred, Chris, Adam here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day. I really wasn't looking at going and trying to shoot threes. I felt really comfortable behind the line from that distance, and I just started firing them. Jordan for three! Yes! 
Next thing you know, shots started falling from everywhere. Let me tell you, I surprised him as much as I surprised you and myself with the way I would shoot the ball. There's Jordan for three, yes! Did you see that look? Michael indicating he can't believe it! It's going to be something that I remember for a long time. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Yeah, that was MJ on this day in 1992. Jordan with his famous shrug after making his sixth three-pointer in the first half of game one against the Portland Trail Blazers. MJ dropped 35 first-half points, led to a win, ultimately a six-game NBA Finals win for the Bulls' second title. They just call it the shrug. If you're on Twitter, the Bulls post is it, it'd be a great little poster. It just says the shrug across, and you just see Michael with the shrug. Uh, Adam Abdallah, Chris Black, Fred Hubner here on ESPN 1000. And I think I mentioned this to one of you guys uh, a week or so ago. J.R. Smith had hit like two or three in a game, and he turned around and did the shrug, and I'm going, hold it. That's not shrug worthy. <laughs> Three in a row by J.R. Smith's not shrug worthy. JR I mean, doesn't we were, care. It's funny because we yeah. were all shrugging after we saw what he did in game one. Oh yeah. But you know, um that you know, most most I know all Bulls fans remember that. Um and you guys you guys are young, but you probably remember that. You're not that Oh yeah, young. yeah. I remember exactly. watching that game. Uh Jordan had thirty nine points, eleven assists. He uh shot six of ten from three. Hold on, he, he had thirty nine, he had thirty five in the first half. They yeah. shut him down in the second well, half. Well, he only played thirty four minutes. <laughs> okay. uh, I mean the Bulls rolled. So yeah. they won one twenty two to eighty nine. Uh-huh. And the way the quarters went after the first quarter it was Bulls up by three, thirty three to thirty. In the second quarter, the Bulls are up 33-21 to 21 in that quarter. And then in the third quarter, they outscored the Blazers 38-17. to 17. So the game was over by the fourth. Yeah. Uh, so you had a bunch of guys playing minutes. Uh, Scotty that night had 24-10 and 10, uh, and 9 rebounds. So 10 assists, 9 rebounds. So Sky Pippen almost with a triple-double. And then uh, the, set, the third leading scorer was Scott Williams had 12 points in the game. And a whole bunch of guys off the bench played, like Bob uh, Hansen and Purdue got minutes. Cliff Lemmingston got minutes. B.J. Armstrong played quite a bit. So, I mean, the Bulls just rolled in game one of the NBA Finals against the Blazers. It was yeah, outstanding. That's nice. Real nice. Um, the game two of the Cleveland and uh, Golden State Series is tonight. We've got it here for you on ESPN 1000. And this number surprised me just a little bit. Teams... To take a two nothing series leader twenty nine and four mm-hmm. in the last thirty three uh, NBA Finals, that seems like a, I don't know, that seems like there'd be more people to come back from a two nothing deficit in the finals. Only four teams have done it, and they are the sixty nine Celtics, the okay. seventy seven Trail Blazers, okay. the O six Heat, okay. and then the Cavs two years ago. Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay, so outside of the Cavs from two years ago. What year did the finals go to the uh, from the two three two to the two two one one one? Because that that may add to the stat. Because back in the day, when you had three straight home games after the first two, I could see how the momentum could completely swing back in your favor if you go home down two games, Mm -hmm. right, and then you you sweep at home. I could see that happening, right? Like, doesn't yeah. that make that a little bit easier than what it is now? Yeah, because then it's much harder for the other team to win two elimination games. You would so. think so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, only four times. So we'll see what Golden State does later on tonight. Um, I'm looking here at some of the other numbers. This is a strange stat. We got the stats and info, and Eric printed them out for us. Um, 
During game one, the best five-man lineup for the Cavaliers on the court was Clarkson, Green, LeBron, Corver, and Nance. Um, they outscored their opponents in the last, uh, let's see, the last three games with that lineup out there. They've outscored their opponent by 15, hitting 56.1% of their shots. The lineup that was used the most, which I think is the starting lineup, Hill, uh, LeBron, Love, Smith, and Thompson. Well, Maybe not Hill, is it? Is Hill starting to? Yeah, he is. Yeah, okay. So Hill, LeBron, Love, Smith, and Thompson is the most used. But when you had Green and Corver and Nance and Clarkson on, they actually were doing better. Well, the biggest... Now, is uh, that because they was against the Warriors bench? Or well, No, because Steve Kerr staggers everyone, so they, they kind of rotate... They have this rule where they don't want uh, more than two of their stars on the bench at one time. Okay. So, like when you see Clay, when you see uh, Steph and Durant go off together, uh, Draymond Green and Clay Thompson are on the floor at the same time, and they kind of rotate out that way. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a lot different with Iggy out, Iguodala, because they can't really rotate as normal as they did in the regular season. But I think the key is if you look at the Cavs. You have a little bit better defensive lineup out there with the bench guys just because Tristan Thompson is not very good. Right. And Kevin Love gets hunted on defense by the Warriors. They know how to manipulate him to get him into situations where it's always a mismatch. And even though Kevin Love gave you 21 points and 13 rebounds, he's a terrible defender. And the Warriors love having him on the floor. So I... I understand why that bench lineup with LeBron probably does better because also Corver's probably their second best player. He gives oh. he gives a good defensive effort. He can hit the open shots. He's always moving offensively, which is a it causing havoc on the defense to always stay with him. I mean, he's a smart basketball player, and I know that J.R. Smith's talented and Kevin Love theoretically is the second best player, but when Kyle Corver's cooking, that's when the Cavs are at their best. And Nance is a border. I mean, Nance can rebound. Yeah, he, and he, he gave he you uh, unusual good minutes yeah. in game one. You don't usually see that from uh, Larry Nance Jr. And we're going to talk more baseball, uh, more Cubs baseball. Let's David DeJesus joins us from NBC Sports Chicago. We come back after this. It's Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Huebner on ESPN 1000. You see Chicago's game day. Deep to left field, and it is there. Chicago's game day. He's at the wall. He leaps. He caught it. He caught it. Alvarez. It's a triple play for the Sox. Bases loaded. Bases clean. They see Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Oh, welcome back in. Fred Huebner along with Chris Black, Adam Abdallah. We are here until 12 noon. We'll get into a lot of NBA next hour. James Herbert from CBS, uh, NBA will uh, jump on in. Jesse Rogers is in New York, and he's just enjoying himself and having a breakfast, so he'll get to us around 1130. So N- Nice of Jesse to get around to us when he gets a chance. Yeah, we are right before first pitch. I mean, the Cubs are wrapping up their road trip before a day off, and then the Phillies come to town on a Tuesday. And we continue our Cubs conversation. Uh, happy to be joined by David DeJesus from uh, NBC Sports Chicago. David, how are you this morning? Hey, good morning, guys. I, I like you guys. Get got to get on Jesse. <laughs> got to get on him. You know, he, he's sleeping in. You know, right? 
He's in his REM cycle right now. You got to let him go. <laughs> yeah, there, let him go. there's no doubt about it, uh, David. You you got to be happy that uh, NBC Sports Chicago decided not to do uh, post games on all Cubs games because otherwise you would have been sitting there waiting for that 14th inning to finally end last night. Exactly. You know, I'm. I'm. They've picked some good games so far, especially those cold ones. <laughs> that you know, we have to. We, we've been home. So um, NBC Sports Chicago, they've picked some good games for us. We can't complain at all. No. David, David, so if we uh, look at last night's game, 14-inning marathon today, Joe Madden does not have Rizzo or Bryant in the lineup. Now, if you're one of the guys that gets the bat in the lineup today uh, while the two big hitters for your team are sitting out, what's the mindset that you have going into that type of game? You know, it's just be yourself. You're not going to be Chris Bryant. You're not going to be Anthony Rizzo. These guys have proven themselves to be stars in the game. So now it's a team at bat. I want to see team at bat throughout the lineup, work the counts. You're not going to have DeGrom where that guy was special last night. What he was putting out there was just that high-level caliber of pitching. So you're going to have a drop-off today. So now it's just go out there, grind some of bats, put some of good bats together, and just work the count and score some runs. The Cubs yesterday went 6-for-17 with runners in scoring position. It seems like they struggle to manufacture runs and rely more on the home run against good pitching. Is there something that they can do to adjust that? You know, that's been the thing the last few years with the Cubs, being able to score with runners in position. Last night, it's tough. You know, Jacob DeGrom is at his best when he's in those situations. But so that you get him out and you get to that Mets bullpen and they were able to score some runs. But it's all about having team at best. And I keep saying that because, you know, the home run has been a big part of the game now. Now it's all right, let's stop. No more bunting. No more moving the runners over. You're waiting for that two run home run. So you have to look at it that way. But there has to be something about trying to stay inside of a ball, move it the other way. And those little things bring confidence to a lineup. And when, a, when you have a confident lineup, guys doing different things, it's hard for pitchers to attack guys the same way each and every time through the, through the order and multiple times through the order. Uh, David, I've said this for a couple of weeks now, maybe or a couple of months. The Cubs do real well when they do hit the ball out of the park. And when they don't, Joe Madden always talks about moving the baseball. I mean, he did yesterday after the, uh, you know, during the post game saying, listen, we had guys on base. We got to move the ball. Uh, it's funny. You don't complain about it when the ball's going out of the park, but that's one thing they've had a trouble. And it's not only this year, David. I mean, last year it was a similar situation. How do you get guys in baseball nowadays to just put their bat on the ball? I mean, do you, do you make, do you make Ben Zobris the hitting coach? Cause he seems like the one guy that does it each and every at bat. I mean, Ben Zobris is a throwback guy. You know, he played in the era where, you know, there was bunting going on. Now there is no bunting going on. The thought of that, the thought of moving runners over, it's, it's really, it's changed the game. Now it's strikeouts, you know, launch angle, hitting the ball out. So it's a different type of game. You have to, I think it has to start down in the minor leagues. You draft these guys, these guys have to start learning the game again learning how to play not just home run ball, but being able to move the runners over in situations. As you watch the game, you see these outfielders, you know, Conforto the other day, throwing air mailing the ball to home plate. I think guys have lost the, the fundamentals of the game. So I feel that this, this has to go to the minor league level. These guys have to uh, get taught 
how to play the game the right way, and maybe that'll start bringing that back. Launch angle, strikeout, or home run baseball, is that hurting the future of the sport, what we're watching right now? Uh, these teams have no options, and as you said, you know, not really understand how to play when the ball is actually in play during a game? It's, it's something has something to do with it, but that that's what the game is now. So players are going to, all right, they say these, they see these guys making $200 million for hitting home runs out of the park. Why would they not do that? So I understand there's a level of accountability for the player, but also for the organization. They have to take these guys and change their mindset. You know, now it's, a, it's a, all right, the Cubs did the rebuild. Now the Astros did the rebuild. Now other teams are doing the rebuild. There has to be some team to be like, all right, let's go back to the stealing bases, bunting, moving the run over. And if they win, that's when teams will start picking up and, oh, okay, that, that's a smart idea. They used to do that back in the day. You know, so they, that might catch back on. Jason Hayward went four for five yesterday. He's had a pretty good week so far. Have you noticed something that he's changed in the way he's approaching the plate? You know, I think he's swinging at better pitches. The other day he went 0 for 5. They started coming in on him, and he started going back to grounding to second base. And that's when you know Jason Hayward is not seeing the ball good, is when he's grounding, pulling the ball on the ground. He started, like, in Pittsburgh, he was attacking balls out in the way. He's getting his arms extended, shooting the ball back up the middle. And he wasn't hit the ball hard yesterday, his last couple of hits were pretty good, but he was he's up the middle more. His mentality is more up the middle the other way, and if they come in, he just reacts. So I like what I'm seeing. The guy's up to 271. Who would have thought that Jason Hayward had been to 271 in June right now? So you'll take that, and you just want to just have him continue to be confident in the batter's box. Who would have thought Jason Hayward would be a 271 at any time in the, in the, in the season, especially after last year? Hey, 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 just take it, right? Uh, David, sure. David DeJesus joining us here on ESPN 1000. Nice enough to jump on in from NBC Sports Chicago. You were talking about launch angles. I know it's a huge thing, and that's why this one step, step, uh, stuck out to me yesterday. When Kyle Schwarber was up, they were talking about Schwarber and what he's done this year and how he's lost the weight and everything. And his swing has changed a little bit. The launch angle he had last year was 17%. This year, his launch angle is down to 8%. Now, he's still strong enough to hit the ball out, but he's also hitting the ball and getting singles and doing other things instead of just, you know, turning around and looking to yank everything. Does that, was that surprising? I mean, I don't know if you saw that, but that was surprising to me that his launch angle has changed because almost everybody else is changing their launch angle to make it higher. I mean, coming into this season, Kyle Schwarber struggled last year. So, and the the season before that, he came off knee surgery, didn't have time in the in the off season to really. He was just focused on his rehab going into last year and struggled. So, I think this is his first off season to really all right swing, swing, swing. And he saw that last year he was underneath everything, mm-hmm. so he had to make an adjustment. And baseball is about adjustments, and he saw that. I can't keep doing this. I'm not going to be in the league for a long time if I continue with staying underneath the ball. But this guy has the power to line balls out of the park. He has power to all fields and be able to kind of mess with that long launch angle because 
when he squares it up, they're like that one in Cleveland. He hit a rope out, and it was like this guy has power to all fields. So if he stays on top of the ball, he'll be fine. But with me with launch angle, launch angle happens after the swing. I like you can you want to go straight to the ball, but then when your hands finish, that's where that you're you're kind of the swing is coming up. And that's where the launch angle happens. You want to go straight to the ball first, then the, the launch angle happens after you after contact. David, as a player, did you ever even think about launch angle when you were in the batting cage <laughs> or at the plate? Like, is that something that guys in your era even thought about? No, I, I, I was thinking about I want to hit a blind drive over shortstop all the time. Uh, my hands were straight to the ball, and and I was a line drive hitter. I don't know, maybe the the, the home run guys were thinking about that. But my job was to get hit the gaps because I played most of my career in Kansas City where the gaps are doubles and triples. And that was my job to get on base and score runs. So the launch angle, I didn't even know that that wasn't even like in my brain at all. So it's, it's, it's crazy how they, there's so much information in this game. I think there's good stuff too, but I think it, it's almost there's too much stuff that guys can see and worry about and, and just they're stopped the focus on just going out there, getting a good pitch and being on time. That's really what the game is. Yesterday during the broadcast, John Smoltz was talking about the need for a change to the MLB's policy to extra innings, whether it be putting someone on second base or finding another solution. As, when you played, how much did going – 14 or 15 innings affect you if you had to play the next day in a day game? How long did the effects of playing such a long game last when you played? I did not like playing extra inning games. You know, you get paid for nine innings. And I was one <laughs> to play nine. <laughs> you know, but you, know, you feel those. The next few days, your feet are feeling it. And, all right, you're there. So they, they might think of the day game today. So you're there until 12, 1 o'clock. You have to get in the ice tub, then get home around like 1, 1 wake up, and then get your back at the field again around 9, 30, 10. So, you know, it's tough on the body, but I like what John Smoltz was saying, that there's, there's so many negatives to it. Like Luke Farrell, what a great job he did yesterday of helping that bullpen out. But today he's probably in, he's going to be in AAA just because you bring another player up and that's the way it is. So he doesn't get really congratulated for that. The team knows that the teams will, but like he's in the minor leagues now, and there's so you know, and 14, 15, 16, he kills the bullpen, kills the players' legs. And what are we doing? What are we trying to do here? You know, the, the games that matter in the po- or for um, extra inning games that's postseason stuff. Right now, you know, I, I know every game matters, but. You, if you do something like that, second, you know, put someone on second base. I think it's a it's a fun idea. They might be trying that in the minor leagues, and hopefully, it comes up to the big leagues. Do you think that there's a viable solution out there, whether it be? I know you said you don't like putting someone on second base, but maybe you know after the twelfth inning or thirteenth inning, ending in a tie and readjusting the way you do the scoring system. Do you think there's a viable solution out there? I think there's a viable solution, but you know what I don't like is watching home run baseball. These swings trying to be that hero guy and it's just all home runs swinging for the home run and one for one run and that's how 
That's why these games are going on and on and on, because someone wants to be the guy that gets all the Gatorade on him, all the water bucket on him. And I don't know what it's going to be, but there's got to be something that they can be trying out in the lower levels to see if it'll work out. Yeah, you, you mentioned that, and there was a stat in the game yesterday where the Cubs, with the bases loaded, were 0 for 5 with five strikeouts yeah. with their bases loaded. And twice yeah. in the first inning, and then it proceeded, you know, talking about leaving 17 guys on base. And it does seem like there's times they want to just yank it, and all you, you get the bases loaded. Just put the bat on the ball. Someone's <laughs> going to score, you would think, right? Exactly, and that's what, you know, Rizzo got a – there was like a lot of blue pits yesterday. Yeah. Know? And you got to give a lot of credit to DeGrom. That's what he's done this whole season already. He doesn't let runners in where they're in high leverage situations. But you just got to be able to shorten that swing. That's another thing. Are guys shortening their swings like Rizzo does with two strikes, chokes up, try to do something? That's what we used to do back in the day. Two strikes. I remember everyone, a lot of guys used to choke up and try and shoot the ball. Just. Put it in play. Make the defense make a play. That's where the game has kind of changed. It's all about the long ball, all about production. And that's, if, if guys are going to get paid off of production and home runs, I would be doing the same thing. So why not? <laughs> there's, actually, there's actually a guy that uh, you – I don't know if you ever played with Carlos Pena. But yeah. when he yeah. was when he was playing after he retired, people had asked about him about hitting the other way when he's when you're getting shifted on and things like that. And he actually came out and said, uh, "This was probably on MLB Central and MLB yeah. Tonight last." He yeah. said, "I get paid to hit home runs. I don't get paid to hit the other way or to bunt to bunt the ball and get on base." And it took a lot of people by surprise because you know there are guys that have done it. I've seen Miguel. Cabrera do it. I've seen other guys do yep. it. You know, other left-handers, um, not not Cabrera, but yeah. other left-handers actually just do that just to get on base, and it surprised me a little bit. But you bring it up. I mean, that's a lot in a lot of guys' heads that, hey, we don't get paid just to get on base. We get paid to hit the long ball. Exactly. And that's Chris Carter. I think he played for the Brewers for a while, mm-hmm. the Astros. This dude, he would not. He would just, all right, I'm a home run guy. I got to put those numbers up. I'm the fourth hole hitter. I got to put homers on the board. So there's a mentality there. I think it's hard for those guys to really change their swing. If they're starting to go inside the ball, that might hurt their power numbers. So, you know, it it is a tough decision for the for the for the player, but at the end of the day, you have to be able to make a decision on your career and be comfortable with it and hopefully those guys are comfortable right now once since now they're that they're done playing being able to look back and be like, okay, that's if I, I, I sold out on whatever I, I chose to do. If it was up to you, would you play Albert Elmora every single day in center field? Oh, there's no doubt. <laughs> there's no doubt. What you're seeing right now is a, a star in the making. He's not, His whole thing was Kenny hit right-handed pitching. He's doing that. I understand where Joe Madden is coming from because I played for him, and he wants to keep bodies fresh. He wants to keep guys, the bodies fresh for that stretch run in September and through the playoffs. You know, he, you know, I know the fans are all over him for not playing him, you know, playing Ian half so much. But I came up in the hour that, hey, man, I want, I want to have my job and my name in the, in the box every day. I want to be penciled in center field leadoff hitter. I know Albert wants that. But he, Albert is, 
he is one of the best team players I've seen in a while. Just the way he, the way he handles himself, the way he he comes off to me that he's he's down for the team. So I understand where he's coming from, but I, that's he knows where Joe Madden's head is at and how he's handling his team and and Albert handling it great as well. Okay, Dave, we appreciate you jumping out. We got Chris Black here who works each and every day, Monday through Friday. With David Kaplan. Yeah. And you work with Cap all the time. And you were talking about yes. the, the ice tub. Um, shouldn't Cap just get them all a, a cryo machine that they can travel with them and so he can go into their cryo? I mean, I mean there's got to be someone, you know, Cap's on so much, he's looking for those advertisers to come on. And someone's got to hook them up with that one at the house, right? You, you would know, think so, like, right? Wouldn't you? Right? You would think so. You would think so. You didn't, you didn't think about doing the uh, rim-to-rim walk with him or a hike with him, did you? No, no. I've been on some hikes, and hikes are tough. I'm, I mean, I mean, for like fourteen miles down into the Grand Canyon, that is ridiculous. I'm, I'm happy that he came back, and I saw him get out of the car the first day, and he, he had a little limp to him. I'm like, oh, that's rim to rim stuff right there. But that, David, that's come on, come on. It's that. Cap. You, you're a professional athlete. Cap was really milking this for all he could. Wasn't it? I mean, he's uh, he's gonna he's going to. That's Pat. That's my <laughs> guy right there. You know, he's going to. But um, he's great, dude. I'm happy for them both. That's it's a, it's an accomplishment. That's for sure. And you know, him and his wife are awesome people and love them. Yeah, no, it is an accomplishment. I when I went for a hike, I like flat ground, like through through you know yeah. through trees and stuff like that, and grassy areas, and you know where there's some shade or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, 114 degrees. Like, you're, there's no, there's no trees in the, in the wherever you know out there in the no. mountains. Like, nothing, no, in, nothing in the Grand Canyon. David, we appreciate yeah. we appreciate you jumping on. We enjoy your work this no year doubt. on uh, on the. Uh, you know, you do work, you do work with Cap, so you you help bring up the yeah. conversations. We yeah. we appreciate that. <laughs> All right, guys. You guys are awesome. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, David. David DeJesus from NBC Sports Chicago. He gets to sit with Cap all the time, and uh, yeah, well, you know, and it's not all. It's funny. You think you you're just sitting with Cap on the set, but they sit in the green room and oh, yeah. watch the game on the couches throughout the entire game, wow. and they do something that they've done it a couple times. I don't know if you've ever watched a game where they've done it, but like. When they would go to a commercial break, they would show those guys, and they would do like a whole little thing about what their thoughts were on the game. Yeah. That was actually pretty cool. That's something they can do, which is which is neat over there. Yeah, and I get to sit with Cap today at an airport, so uh, wish me luck. I would like to know who heard Rim to Rim more, you or DeJesus, over the last uh, few days. That's a good question. Weeks. See, baseball games are longer than the show, yeah. so I would imagine DeJesus got the worst of it. Hey, why uh, why do you get to sit with him at an airport today? He and I are going to Bristol tonight. Oh, okay. Cap's doing a show from Bristol. He'll be on Golden Wingo tomorrow morning at eight thirty. Okay, and then he'll do uh, Cap and Company from Bristol. So uh, he needed a, a buddy, a travel buddy, and <laughs> you got to carry his bag or what? I mean, uh, will, will you try to get a picture of the suit jacket he's going to wear on Golden Wingo? Because I, I heard know what he's wearing. Is it going to be something loud? Well, what do you think? It's Cap. <laughs> I already know what he's wearing. Okay, what time is he on with Cole looking when we go? 8.30 tomorrow okay. morning. I got to watch. I gotta so you can sure watch, watch on uh, ESPN News and uh, listen right here on ESPN 1000. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, yesterday. It's loud. It's a loud blazer. Uh, we figured it was. Yeah. 
Yesterday, James Shields pitched for the White Sox, since we've had so much Cubs talk, and deservedly so. I mean, they're they're chasing the Brewers, and the White Sox didn't help the Cubs yesterday. Brewers beat the White Sox, and James Shields, a final of 5 to nothing. Shields, seven innings, eight hits, three runs. They were all solo homers, also a two-run homer for the Brewers, so they get all five of their runs on four homers. And people are talking about the rebuild, and James Shields is tired of it. No, it's, been, it's been a tough go uh, this first couple months of the season. Um... You know, as a pitcher, you got to just keep going out there and grinding, and, and um, you know, try to get as, the best results you can possibly get. You know, but at the end of the day, we lost the game, and I'm not really happy about that. So, I mean, frankly, I don't really care about the rebuild right now. I care about winning. I mean, they keep talking about rebuild. I'm, I'm trying to win ball games right now. Period. I mean, I, I, I don't like losing. You know, we're losing ball games right now, and, and they can keep talking about rebuild, but at the end of the day, we got to win ball games right now. I'm not worried about this rebuild. I'm worried about winning, winning right now. I just wish we can get some more dubs. I mean, that's that's, oh, okay. that's 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 the disappointing part about this whole thing right now is not getting not being able to get dubs. I mean, I don't like losing, so I'm not a big fan of it. We want to win, you know. We're just not getting the job done right now. Plain and simple. Um, you know, it's a good ball club over there. There's no doubt about it. The Brewers are they're hot right now. Uh, but but right now we we just gotta we gotta focus on winning ball games. That's what we gotta do. Can't worry about you know what everyone's saying saying out there um, in the media. And we just gotta worry about what we do in this clubhouse. Okay, now what he said Dubs. And, and what Jose Abreu said earlier this week when he was upset and called a lot of the players over to his locker for a meeting is exactly what Anthony Rizzo and Starlin Castro were saying. When they were going, when the Cubs were going through this, yeah, because Rizzo and Castro were busting their tail trying to win games, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they knew they couldn't win with what they had. And Rizzo was aggravated, and I'm using the nicer word because, and I anybody that plays the game of baseball doesn't want to go out there and lose. Yeah. And uh, I understand what James Shields said. You know, Jose Abreu has been with the White Sox; they've got a losing record every year he's been here. Well, Fred, it's tough to walk uphill in quicksand. And that, and that's what these guys are doing. They're they're vets who've been around, who are talented, who want to win. Yeah. But everything's up against you, and your team is not designed to win. So, like, all right, that's that's great. You got the fire, you got the passion. You drop in some dubs. You want to win some dubs. You got to win the games. This, James that, and the Shields. other. Listen, that's just not the plan. Like I, well, the plan. It, wasn't... It's good that he wants to win. Like yeah. you never want to hear an athlete say, "Yeah, we're just going through the motions." And I've, I've argued with a couple of people at the station. the 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 plan was not to lose like this this year. It wasn't a Bulls tank job. Okay, the the White Sox have the fourth pick in, in tomorrow's draft. Right. Okay. They're not. They don't necessarily care about next the years. You know, the following year's draft. They knew they weren't going to be good this year, so they'll get a, dra- a draft pick somewhere. Right now, they're they're getting the number one pick in next year's draft. That's not necessarily always a great thing. You got the, I understand you get the best chance to get the best player. You also I, have the best chance to make good, the biggest mistake. It's a good consolation, though, if you have to go through a season like this, that you, instead of being second, third, or fourth, that yeah. you do have the ability to draft the very best player coming out. Yeah, but it's, now, I get that the, that's not your right. specific direction that you want them to take. It is a good consolation if you have to go through this. But unlike those sports, okay, the other sports, hockey, basketball, it's not a guy that's going to help you the next season. No, no. It takes it's a guy a that's going to help you like two here. to three yeah. seasons down the road. True, but if you look across baseball, guys are making a bigger impact earlier, quicker. You know, like that's happening Some now of them are, yeah. sooner. You know, yeah. we saw it with the Astros. We've seen it now with the Cubs. We've seen different players be drafted. Uh, the Braves have two young guys 
who come up quickly, and now you have a first-place ball club that's playing really well. Yeah. We saw it with the Phillies as well. Their number one pick from what? He was from two years ago, three years ago? What? Which one? Um, Ryan? Oh, with, Hoskins. Hoskins? Yeah, but, you know, he, he um, he's actually you know slid a little bit. He's not been playing as well, but he's came been up quickly, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, like, the design in baseball is you look at guys who you get young, you bring them up quickly, and that's, like, your window. You know what I mean? Because, like, to all this that's going on this year, Fred, it's not like there's going to be this long ramp up for the White Sox. It's going to hit quickly, and it's going to be like, all right, now we got to start making the playoffs. Yeah, Hopefully. Well, you have to hit on, right. all these, on all these prospects, though, and they've had injuries that have set them back. They've and they've had- also had some, some drafts in the last couple of years which have not been panning out, which yeah. isn't going to help. We come back, I'll have my MLB notebook, and also don't forget, mm-hmm. around uh, 1045-ish, yeah. 1050, uh, I get to uh, easy, listen easy. and review the uh, new Kanye album. That'll be fun. And uh, Chris Black, Adam of <laughs> Fred Huebner on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. And the ball driven to left center. Sousa. He's got it! He's got it! It's a no-hitter! Fred goes around the horn. It's a triple play for the Sox. Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Fred's baseball notebook. Jam in in a short period of time. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner want to give as much time as we can for the Kanye uh, review oh, yes, of yeah. his uh, latest album. So let me get right to it. Yesterday, the Cardinals, oh, they get a nice win. I know that disappoints Cub fans. Cardinals were playing Pittsburgh, and uh, this guy steps up every once in a while. One ball, one strike on Colton Wong. Wong out to right. He may have done. Cardinals. They've done it again here at home. Their seventh walk-off in 2018. That's a lot of walk-off, uh, walk-off wins, uh, seven of them. And who really cares if it's the once in the game played at Bush Stadium? I certainly don't. Um, yesterday, the game we were not able to see because we were watching the Cubs and the Mets was Atlanta taking on Washington, and it was Max Scherzer, but not on the mound. Max Scherzer is going to be the pitch hitter. Told you he's under there swinging. This is great. He's 8 for 28 this year. Up the middle, how well placed a base hit for Max Scherzer. I'll tell you what. I've seen him steal a base this year. Now I've seen him get a pinch hit signal. He's crossing more stuff off the bucket list. That's all I can tell you. A drive towards the gap in right center field. Marquecas over. He can't get it. It bounces off the wall. Scherzer's on his way to third base. Here is the throw into the infield. It gets away. Scherzer scores to third is Depot. The Nats take the lead in the 14th with Max Scherzer scoring the run. That is my first official goosebump moment of the season. Unbelievable. Fred, when I saw the highlight of that, did yeah. you see the Nats dugout? How excited they were when Scherzer came into the dugout after I did running not, around the I, bases and I can scoring only imagine. the run? I can only imagine. That's an MVP right there, Fred. Yeah, there you go, Max Scherzer. <laughs> um, hey, the Seattle Mariners have won three in a row. Wow. Seven yeah. of their last ten, and guess what? If you look at the American League West standings, Seattle is tied with Houston. Now, nobody expected that. No. For years, people have been no. saying, Seattle's coming, Seattle's coming. Yeah, well, right. you know what? They're not uh, playing all that bad right now. 
Um, May. Oh, now I know what this means. I got all these, I got all these stats here. I yes. want to make sure I got two. Jason Stark, who is now with The Athletic, mm-hmm. he did a great job the other day. He looked at like 10 things, and I'm not going to hit all of them, just a couple of them, uh, about baseball. Uh, you remember that in April, April was the first month in the history of baseball that there were more strikeouts than hits. Yes. Okay? Launch so angle. In May... Hits, 7,020. Strikeouts, 6,959. So even though uh, they did not have more strikeouts than hits in May, uh, so far the season has produced nearly 300 more strikeouts than hits. Um, We remain on pace for 42,000 strikeouts. That would be a record. That wouldn't just be a record. It would be 5,000 more than five years ago and 10,000 more than 12 years ago. And at this rate, there will be nearly... 7,000 fewer balls put in play this year than just three years ago. So, as David DeJesus says, and everybody that watches baseball, it's it's gotten to a point now where walks, strikeouts, and uh, home runs. And there was a uh, an executive in baseball, I don't know if I have his quote, but I can paraphrase it. He said, I don't think I like the game of baseball anymore. I love the game, but I don't like the way it's being played. And there's a lot of people that feel that way, which is a bad thing for a, a sport that's trying to get more people to play. Well, Adam Dunn was just ahead of his time. <laughs> well, he it's, was. It's a fair comment, though, Fred. We've talked about it all year. Uh, watching launch angle, home run, strikeout, walk. There's nothing going on. No. And it's it's a boring game that some could already call boring before we even got to this point. And now you eliminate all... Uh, running the base pads, Max Scherzer running around, right. is slapping hits Which the is opposite the way. Things, right. Yeah, you know, uh, relay throws yeah. at the plate or at second base or at third. You know, you don't see a lot of that anymore. Or how about this? The good old-fashioned singles that lead to a, a rally. Yep. Mm. The, the, the hit parade. Yeah, the, the parade of hits. Whatever don't, happened to that? Don't stop now, boys. You know what my solution would be? Hmm. My solution would be to deaden the baseball. Yeah. So if it's harder to hit home runs, now you're just going to go for hits. Right. You're just going to hit the ball. Guys going to be running around the bases. It'll be fun. And you just say, you know, don't stop now, boys. Just a note I had to pass out. For those people who actually do like Hawk Harrelson, and I'm one of them, he's going to be working with Bob Euchre for an inning today. Yeah, so that's cool. Bob Euchre. Bob Euchre's great. So it's going to be Bob Euchre and Hawk for an inning today on the game. This was a great stat. I used it yesterday with Murph. I wasn't going to. I was going to save it for today, but when I told Murph, he goes, you got to use this. Um, Manny Machado, 16 homers. Now, he may have hit one in the last day or two, but 16 homers, the Orioles with 17 wins. Okay? So the question was, has anyone ever hit more home runs that his team had wins for a full season. You'd say, that's never going to happen. Okay, so uh, before we answer, you're, that has to be a really bad team that won about 60 ball games or so, and it's got to be one of the all-time home run leaders, right? Uh-huh. Okay, so, so we're in the 60 range for home runs, slash, that's about wins. Because it wouldn't be a team that won 50 games, well, right? Well, way, way back when, in 1935, when nobody was alive. Um, <laughs> Wally, there were people alive, Fred. Wally Berger was Bruce alive. Was oh, Wally Bruce Berger. Wally, <laughs> Bruce was around. Yeah, Wally, Bruce. Berger, oh. Wally Berger hit 34 homers. Wally. The Boston Braves won 38 games. Okay. Okay, so it was not you know the necessarily the era of a lot of home runs. The dark ages of baseball. Yeah. Yes. But this happened in 1999. The one, the, the one that's the closest. The closest any player has come is just four. 
Wait, was it a um, a certain former Cub outfielder? Um, he was a current Cub at the time. No. no. Yeah, was it Sammy? Sammy hit 63 homers in 1999, and the Cubs won 67 games. Wow. Who? Sammy? Sammy, the guy uh, that they the won't Cubs, recognize. Yeah, the Cubs don't acknowledge him. Yeah, they don't acknowledge him. So I guess they don't acknowledge him, so it doesn't even count. Doesn't can, count. I, can I have that said? I'll tell Cap. When I see Cap at the airport, that's going to be the first thing I say to him. Here, you can have it. I'm done with the sheet now. Thank you. I'm going to give yeah. it right there. It's on the Here bottom. Here you go, Cappy. It's on the bottom. And highlighted and everything. That's, that's a good stat. It is. It's pretty cool. Uh, the Red Sox got their 40th win. They're the first of 40 wins. Um, yep. John Carlos Stanton hit a two-run homer yesterday at Baltimore. I don't know if you guys saw it, but it landed right in the middle of a bachelorette party. <laughs> all these, all these, all these young ladies with uh, Baltimore hats on, and you know, bride and bright, you know, yeah. all that stuff. Um, was one of them wearing a sash? Did she have the bri- the bride sash it on? Did, did there she? was a sash. Was yes. there a sash? I didn't see the sash. I didn't know if I saw the sash. Well. Was there a necklace of uh, gummy things? No, no gummy. Things. No gummy things. No. Uh-uh. Oh, okay, not not yet. They probably yeah. did that afterwards. And uh, the MLB draft is tomorrow. I know nobody gets really excited for this. Um, the White Sox have the fourth pick overall. There are a couple of guys that could be there when the White Sox pick. Florida junior right-hander uh, Brady Singer. He was named the 2018 uh, Baseball America National Player of the Year. He pitched against Jacksonville last night for Florida. Went seven innings, five runs, two earned, two walks, six strikeouts. And another guy is this guy named Nick Madrigal. He's 5'7", and everybody says, well, he's short. Well, look at the guys hitting home runs in baseball. Oh, Altuve and Mookie Betts, right? Better launch angle. Yeah. Uh, Nick Madrigal yesterday was 2 for 4 with three runs scored and a home run for Oregon State. They beat LSU 14-1. to And just for the hell of it, I was going to say just for kicks, um, these are the most recent first-round picks for your Cubs and White Sox. Okay. The Cubs, uh, first round, not just first, not, you know, because yeah, right. Baltimore a, co- a couple times had more than one first round pick. 2011, Javi Baez. Ooh. Now, Theo takes over. 2012, Albert Elmora. Also, Pierce Johnson and Paul Blackburn. Pierce Johnson now pitches for the Giants. He pitched against the Cubs a week or so ago. I don't know where Paul Blackburn is. I'm sorry. Uh, 2013, Chris Bryant. 2014, Kyle Schwarber. 2015, Ian Happ. And no pick in 2016. The Cubs actually pick twenty uh, second or twenty third, I think, in the draft this year. So Al- you have Baez, Almora, Bryant, Schorber, Hap, all lineup guys. Yeah, no pitchers because the two pitchers they picked weren't there. The White Sox twenty thirteen, Tim Anderson twenty fourteen, Carlos Rodon twenty fifteen, Carson Fulmer twenty sixteen, Zach Collins and Zach Birdie and twenty seventeen, Jake Berger. Anderson's playing. Rodon is pitching uh, one more game in. Uh, Charlotte, and then he could be up with the team again next uh, week. Carson Fulmer has pitched and failed, uh, at least right now. He's still young. Zach Collins and Birdie. Zach Collins actually has like an 11-game hitting streak in the minors. Birdie's recovering from Tommy John, and Jake Berger blew out his yeah. Achilles. So take, take those two lists, right? Yeah. That's why you have a team that's winning and a team that's really struggling. Look at the, the two lists. On the Cubs side, you get guys who are in the lineup every day who are contributing, and on the White Sox, you have a bunch of question marks. Well, that's well. You also have pitchers too. You have Rodon and Fulmer, where the Cubs didn't have any success with that. They they drafted right. two, and neither of them were any good. Yeah. Uh, so now the White Sox. That's why going into the draft, if the White Sox hit can take Singer or Madrigal, me as a Sox fan would rather take the hitter, even though he's a second baseman. 
Right. He's a guy that can hit the ball and get on base. And that's what the White Sox need. Even with all the trades they made, all the pitching they got, Michael Kolpak and all these other guys, thank goodness they got Eloy Jimenez and Luis Basabi and all these other guys. So uh, it'll be fun to see what happens. I sit and watch it because MLB Central does a great job. They do it right in their studios, and a lot of the young players are there. I remember mm-hmm. Tim Anderson was there. I remember when Mike Trout got drafted late in the first round. That was a lot of teams missed on that. When we come back, Kanye's got a new album, and uh, these guys are going to let me uh, review yeah, parts Fred, of it. Fred, we will play snippets of it, and we will let Yeezy, you Yeezy. review Yeezy's new album. Okay, looking forward to it. Black Abdallah Hubner here on ESPN 1000. Oh, no. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. I'm easy like Sunday morning. Is that, is that, is this Kanye? This is, no, no, this is not Kanye. Okay, I wasn't sure. I thought that might be Kanye. Uh, welcome Kanye. back, Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner here on ESPN 1000. And, uh, yeah, you're going to, uh, let me hear some, uh, some of the new Kanye so I can easy. break it down for you. All right, Fred, so here's the deal. Um, new albums out, seven tracks. It, in length, it's 23 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, in- that's silly. Instead of us putting you in a, a sound booth and listening through the entire 23 minute album, uh-huh. uh, Abdallah and I thought we would cut selected portions of each song uh, uh, that are available to play on the radio because it's uh, a very inappropriate album. Is that the w- way to say it, Abdallah? Yeah, it's inappropriate. It's, he, says, uh, uh, he says words we cannot say on yeah, a Disney-owned radio station. It's tough to find 10 to 15 second Seconds. snippets, Okay, but I believe I did. Uh-huh. So we will go through track by track, and then we will allow you to... Uh, Give a uh, reaction to what you hear. And there's then only we'll, seven, you said, right? There's only mm-hmm. seven. Seven tracks, 23 minutes. Yeah. 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 Right. So, uh, so uh, this is. He's uh, lucky they don't have vinyl anymore that you got to cover because otherwise the vinyl would come out with one side and the other side would be blank. It's all yeah. about streams now, yeah. Fred. Yeah. No, no, no. I understand. I understand. He's, he's uh, lucky that he doesn't have vinyl. You're right. They do uh, say the vinyl's coming back. Yeah. It maybe is. maybe his back. next album will drop on vinyl. Who knows? <laughs> all right, Abdallah. So the name of the album is. Yay. Fred, your thoughts? That's okay. Yeah, well, Kanye. Why? Why? E? Yay. Oh, it's just Y E. Yeah, it's just no, yay. Then I don't like. Yeah, it's it. not like yay. <laughs> this it's is not like, be great. This yay. is fantastic. So the first track, uh, okay. Kanye acknowledges the fact that he's been diagnosed uh, with a mental uh, illness. Uh, he says he's bipolar. He was uh, diagnosed with this uh, about a year ago, and the song is called "I Thought About Killing You." Okay. Get so bright, it's no sun. Get so loud, I hear none. Scream so loud, got no lungs. Hurt so bad, I go numb. Time to bring in the drums that put her up, 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 palm. Set a new tone on um. Fred, your thoughts? Not, Track actually, number one. Actually, not bad. And that's oh, before the right. beat. That's before right. the beat drops, and that's when. Yeah, there, there's yeah. some things that we cannot uh, right. play yeah. on the radio. Yeah. But so yeah. that's always fine. Yes, yeah, the next song. All right, all right. That, Track well, one. All right. All, I could understand everything he was saying. Yeah, pa pa I could right. I can understand everything he was saying. It made sense. I kind of enjoyed the. All right, Fred's in for track one. All right, all right, all right. We're one to know. All right, at least for that track is called Yikes. Hundred grand and make your best friends turn to ops. I he got bringing my name up a notch. Guess I just turn the crowd game up a notch. See y'all really shocked, but I'm really not. Again, your thoughts. Track again, two. Yikes. Again, I, I'm I'm not putting a whole lot into the lyrics, which I know he is. Um, <laughs> Maybe. Well, there's not many lyrics on this album, so. Uh, but well, well, then the music was not bad. All right. All right. So, All right. Yeah, he's okay. still a great producer. All right. Still okay. a great producer. Right. Two tracks in. All right. Fred's, uh, Fred's the next in. song is called All Mine. I'm a loser. 
That would be that would be bypassed immediately. Yeah, for yeah. Your, for, oh no, you're. You out. don't like that one. No, you don't like that one. one. Okay, all right. No. Doesn't like the. Hook. All right, all right. All right. Two and one right. so far. Okay. Two and like one. The next right. track is called "Wouldn't Leave." It's about how when he started doing all the uh, Trump MAGA stuff, uh, he uh, Kim threatened to leave, but then she wouldn't. Not him. Does he sing it all in the album? Oh, he raps. That's hilarious. Bring that up. That's gonna give me sentimental. You know I'm sensitive. I got a gentlemental. Uh, no, because he he said sentimental and, and, and gentlemental. Mental. Yeah, you gotta rhyme. You gotta rhyme. No, you don't rhyme the same word. All right, two and two, two and two. Same word. The next Just one's not like called that. Okay. No, right. mistakes. Okay, right. no mistakes. No mistakes. I like this. It's a little repetitive, but it's, yeah, I mean, I like it's, it's a chorus. Yeah, most of them are. <laughs> most of them are. So you like that one? Yeah. That's good for you. That rolls right. off the right. tongue. Right. right now, through uh, right. five tracks, three and two, three yeses and uh, two no. But you not realize all, all all music repeats itself. I mean, yeah. they say, "Why can't we be friends?" In the war song, forty four times. There you go. So I mean, that's yeah. a good. That's a good stat. Yeah. Uh, Ghost Town number six. Once again, I have a He's talking about, but it's Wish easy to dance to. Yeah, that's okay. You all like right, that one? All right, all right, all right, all right. So, so at worst, at worst, he's winning. Kanye yeah, won. All right, in yeah. opinion. All right, the last song is called "Violent Crimes." It's about it's like a message to his daughter, kind of. Okay. Don't you go up in a hurry. Your mama be worried. Oh, it was all part of the story. Even the scary nights. Thank you for all of your glory. You will be remembered all. Thank you to all of the heroes of the night. The night. They gotta repeat the colors. The lie is wearing off. Reality is upon us. Was he singing that? <laughs> no, no, you can't really play those raps. Yeah, the raps won't work. Actually, you probably could have played the raps off of that one. That's okay. yeah, it's, tough. Not, it's tough. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that one. All oh, right, no, so okay. four and three. Right. Four yeah. and three. So you like the first two. Wow. Right. And then you liked yeah. uh, No Mistakes in Ghost Town. All yeah. right. So All Kanye's right. new album in right. uh, Fred Hubner's eyes is a yes. I do have to tell yeah. you, I, and I, I know that Jonathan Hood and several other people here at the station fell off their chairs when I told them that I did buy the 2015 Snoop Dogg album, Bush, which I was a big fan of because the first song was California, what's it called? California Roll? Yeah, is that the one with uh, Katy? That's not the one with Katy Perry, is it? No. California, okay. California Roll with uh, um, Pharrell. Oh, yeah, 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 Pharrell, Pharrell. And that yeah. whole album is really good. Really good. I actually listened to it on the way. I drove to Toronto and listened to the whole thing. All right. I, well, you're about to take I a trip. I purchased it. I suggest you, you give yeah, the no, Kanye not, a full listen. Yeah. It's only 20 minutes. 23 like, minutes, like, that's your, like that's if you're flying from, somewhere, that's just taxiing. That, yeah, well, that's, that, quick, that's, that's basically going through, uh, you know. Security. Yeah, security, 23 minutes huh? with the headphones there, on. There you go. So. Uh, we come back. We're going to talk NBA because <laughs> that's what you guys were waiting to do. James Herbert from...
It is Herbert, right? Isn't yeah. there an Aaron there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, James Herbert, CBS. Uh, he follows the NBA. You can follow him, and we will talk with him. We come back talking about game two, which is right here tonight on ESPN 1000. I'm lose my money in it. Crazy, I'm a doula obligato. Get the rub it on my lap. Get the chili out the pot. Get the chili out the pot. See Chicago's game day. Plenty of time with 4.7 remaining. Hill misses. Rebound goes to the Cavs. J.R. Smith brings it back out. Throws it to Hill. Hill shot blocked. And we'll go to overtime. You get the feeling J.R. Smith thought they had the lead. He didn't know the score. I think exactly. That's a bad mistake by J.R. Smith. This is Chicago's game day. Only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. It is game two. The NBA Finals later on this evening as Cleveland tries to uh, finish things off this time. As they take on the Golden State Warriors, Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, me, I'm Fred Hubender. We'll be here till noon. Don't forget Jesse Rogers in New York talking Cubs at 1130. Right now, we get the pleasure to talk with James Herbert from CBS Sports talking about the NBA. You can find him on Twitter at Outside the NBA. James, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for jumping on in. Um, do you think that that was the game that the Cavs had a chance to win. Some people say maybe game three is a possibility going back home, but do you think they, they blew their chance of getting a win? That's what it felt like in the aftermath, right? Like the quotes afterward, like the team just seemed devastated. They obviously had a golden opportunity there in game one, and it wasn't just the J.R. Smith blunder. I mean, George Hill's uh, missed free throw there. You can think about all the little mistakes the Cavs had, all the missed open threes they had in that game, and the performance they got from LeBron. Like, yeah, they're kicking themselves for not getting that. Um, but I would hesitate to say that that was their only chance. I mean, look at tonight's game. Like, we don't know if Clay Thompson and, and Andre Godala are going to even be available. So if those two guys are out, or if they're limited and Clay can't really move very well, uh, then I think the Cavs have another shot to steal one on the road, like a legitimate chance. Who do you point to on the Cavs besides LeBron that needs to step up to give them a ch- uh, shot in Game 2? I mean, they'll take anything. <laughs> I think that's the story <laughs> of their season. Is like Whoever steps up is fantastic. But uh, to me, George Hill has always been the sort of the barometer for the team in the playoffs. We, we've been talking about like aggressive George Hill, the, con- the idea of this different player that he is when he's aggressive for basically his whole career. But I think that's even more important uh, in this stop just because with the way this Cavs team works, uh, LeBron doesn't have a lot of other guys who can take the pressure off him offensively. Maybe he doesn't need it if he just wants to dominate the ball like he did in the last game and create almost everything. Uh, but I think over the course of a seven-game series, uh, you've seen throughout the playoffs how important it is that, you know, Every couple of games, you see George Hill actually making plays out of the pick and roll, attacking the basket. You sort of know what you're going to get from him defensively for the most part. You didn't earlier on in the season, but I think now that he's healthy and in rhythm and playing in games that matter, his defense has actually been pretty solid all playoffs. But offensively, sometimes he just sort of vanishes and he's invisible. And when he's producing, then they do look like a different, more dangerous team. I think behind uh, LeBron and Kevin Love, Hill is their third most important player. Is there anything the Warriors can do besides just simply caring more in the first half of games to play better and actually end the first half with a lead? Uh, I mean, that, that helps. I think just, it's, it's sort of been a focus issue all year for them 
defensively, when they're really locked in and communicating, when they're forcing turnovers and getting out on the break, uh, then they're a different team. And the one thing that Steve Kerr also has been preaching about, not just this year, but his entire tenure, is a discipline offensively to take care of the ball. When they're throwing it away, when they're making sort of careless passes, when they're not as crisp offensively and guys are getting uh, the ball in positions where they don't necessarily have an advantage, uh, then they're just not the same team. I think they can overcome that because of the talent that they have, and you usually see them come out in the third quarter and look a lot sharper. Uh, but the, the games where they just roll through and dominate lead wire to wire, those are the games where they start the game with that same sort of intensity, which is another way of saying, yeah, pretty much what you said, dry harder. <laughs> I know there are times when, uh, you know, LeBron tries to get his other guys involved, okay? He had, what is it, six, he had eight assists, I think, in uh, the first game. Um, but if he's going to try and get Kevin Love involved, doesn't he have to do better than one for eight from three? Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, he, he finished with eight assists. He could have easily had 12 or 13. Like, the Cavs were missing wide-open jumpers that LeBron was creating, and that is not necessarily anything LeBron can control. Like, if you go back and watch the tape and look at some of the looks that Kevin Love had, look at some of the looks that J.R. Smith and George Hill had. Like, if they were good looks, they'd take them any day. I think, for me, like, if you're the Cavs, you always want to try to get Kyle Korver as many open looks as possible. I think he did, like, three shots in the first game. But also, when the Warriors are overplaying him and running him off the line, that, that is difficult, and you have to go to other people. I, I think LeBron is such a master of taking what the defense gives him and hunting the matchup that he wants, but then from there, uh, drawing extra defenders and getting it to the open guy. That He will just sort of set up whoever happens to be open uh, over the course of the game. But, but I, I do think he can't change his approach based on whether or not those shots are falling. He's still going to feed guys. Like You've seen him all year feed Jeff Green for those corner threes. I, we see him miss them all the time but he's also made some big ones in the fourth quarter of playoff games this year, even though the percentage isn't great. Speaking of the matchups, uh, final 10 seconds, LeBron had the ball at the top of the arc, and Steph Curry was switched on him, so he he had the mismatch, and the Cavs could have, at the end of the fourth, taken the last shot in the game. Are you surprised that he passed off and found George Hill under the bucket? No, not at all. I mean, that was was the right play. Hill was open, uh, ended up getting to the line, could have put them ahead by one. Uh, the idea of getting the mismatch, that's to create an advantage, not necessarily to then go and score against that player. The entire Warriors team was looking at LeBron ready to help on that play, which is precisely why Hill had that great opportunity. And LeBron uh, has made his name over the course of his career, uh, took some criticism for it, but uh, as the guy that will always make the right play, no matter the stakes, no matter the situation, he is going to pass. Uh, for a great shot at, at the expense of a good shot. And I think that's exactly what he did there. I can't criticize him at all for that. That could have been the game-winning assist. LeBron got that mismatch 21 times in Game 1. Is there something that the Warriors can do can, that to avoid that switch so Steph isn't on LeBron that many times in this game? Uh, I think they can be a little less willing to give that up. Um, but I think uh, it, it's easy to say that from where I'm standing, right? Like, I, I would love the Warriors to fight through those screens a little harder, to not make things easy on LeBron to where he can just get whatever matchup he wants. But the problem is, if you watch the way uh, that the Cavs play, and this is the case, even if you you could have said this in the Rocket series about James Harden, like, why are they switching so readily, blah, blah, blah. But um, what these teams do is, if you don't get the switch the first time, 
they'll just keep running those pick and rolls over and over. It's really hard to fight over multiple picks on the same possession. So I think sometimes it's simpler to just say, hey, we're switching everything. So um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if the, they, they approach it a little bit differently defensively, try to not surrender them so willingly. Uh, but I, 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 I just want to caution that's a lot easier said than done with the way that the Cavs run their offense and with how smart LeBron is. He'll just keep calling other guys to keep coming up and setting picks if he doesn't get the matchup that he wants. James Herbert from CBS Sports joining us talking about tonight's game two of the NBA Finals. You can hear it right here on ESPN 1000 this evening. Uh, James, have you ever asked LeBron James a question that made him pick up his purse and leave? <laughs> no, I, I have not. I do feel for the reporters to do that, though. I mean, that, that post-game press conference when it's broadcast on TV is just a really awkward environment. Like that is, that is not good for anybody. And, you know, when you get the... The camera zooming in on your face, and you're just like, I, I don't know if I have to word this properly, if everybody's going to make fun of me. Like, I get it. Like, I get the pressure of that situation. I've been in that situation asking those questions. Just I haven't, I haven't had the, uh, the sort of infamy of, of asking a bad one to LeBron, no. <laughs> when you uh, look at the game overall, um, the Action Network over the weekend, uh, since after Game 1 into Game 2, wrote a whole article about how Kevin Durant doesn't look normal. Whatever that means, yeah. what do you think? Like, what have you seen from Kevin Durant from the last series into game one of the finals? Does he look like the normal Kevin Durant we're used to seeing on the court? Yeah, no, that, that was a story. I read that story by my buddy Matt Moore uh, at the Action Network. And I think what he's getting at is that Durant isn't always getting his buckets in the flow of the Warriors' offense. He's often used as a bailout guy. And that, that, that's sort of a double edged sword. And that, like, yeah, when the offense isn't going well, um, then Durant is there to get them a shot late in the shot clock. But I think sometimes when he is making plays that aren't out of that set offense with, you know, 15, 16 seconds left on the shot clock, Warriors fans don't really love it. It's not the sort of basketball uh, that they've been accustomed to watching over the past few years. And I think Steve Kerr even acknowledged uh, in, in his press conference yesterday that things just overall with the Warriors and their offense haven't been as smooth this year as they were last year. And that certainly goes for Durant, how much you want to blame Durant for that or how much you want to blame it on the sort of uh, collective unit of the Warriors and how smoothly they're functioning, how disciplined they're playing with. that That's sort of up to you, but I, I do think that Matt was getting at something true and they, like Durant is one of the best you know, three or four players in the world, but the situation with the Warriors and their fan base is like they don't necessarily want to see him dominating the ball. They want to see Steph making those big plays and that's, that's been the case for the past couple of years. Uh, but I think things sort of worked a little more smoothly last year than it has uh, throughout this playoff run. Do you think that Steve, I mean, we all know Draymond's going to Draymond, but do you think Steve Kerr kind of sits down with him before game two and says, all right, we can't afford to lose you this series for a game like we have in past uh, finals and tells him to kind of take it easy a little bit? I think he knows. I don't think at this point in their relationship, uh, there was a great story written uh, probably about a month ago uh, by Bleacher Report's Howard Beck just about how the Draymond Green-Steve Kerr relationship has evolved and how there were certain times in the Warriors' tenure, especially after that blow-up in OKC in the locker room where Draymond thought they'd have to pick between Kerr and himself and that he would probably end up being traded. But they're way past that point now. I think there's a trust there. If you listen to how Kerr speaks about Draymond and how he um, sort of understands the, the sort of emotion he has to play with, the passion that he has to play with, and about how he does sort of straddle that line into sometimes going a little too far, but he has to let him do that, otherwise he's not going to be himself. I think 
Um, the experience that Draymond had a couple of years ago has taught him enough. I, I don't think Kerr has to sit him down and say, hey, Draymond, you, you better be available for all these games in the finals. I think Draymond himself couldn't stomach uh, being unavailable in any of those games. Do you see how special Draymond is on the defensive end, uh, playing with this group of guys and allowing everyone to switch and kind of orchestrating the defense? Uh, he's incredible. I think he is the smartest defender we've seen in the NBA since Kevin Garnett. Uh, I think the difference is like Draymond can like genuinely guard point guards and centers. He's he's unbelievable. He sees what's coming uh, a couple of steps ahead. Uh, he's an aggressive defender in that he doesn't just wait uh, to react to what the other team is doing. He puts them in uncomfortable positions right away. He's the sort of guy you can talk about him sort of like a Rondo. He knows every single play the other team is running. Uh, but I mean, you combine that with the smarts with just the length, the size. Uh, and just the feel for the game that he has, it's an incredible package. And I think um, most years he's going to be a defensive player of the year candidate. At this year, uh, he probably won't win it just because the Warriors' defense flipped a little and he was probably playing, you know, like 80% capacity compared to what he did last year. But I think in the playoffs, you see him go full bore every single game, and he's just a defensive monster. We know LeBron can shake it off and move on to the, to this game too and not have the memories of the game one loss affect him. But do you think the role players on that team, the J.R. Smiths, who ultimately, you know, led to the, led to them going to overtime, the George Hills, can they shake something like that off? They all called it one of the worst losses of their careers. Do you think they can shake that off and move on to game two? That's a huge question, right? I, I, I don't know. I truly, uh, I, I I must say, like, after the last game, I didn't love a lot of their comments after the game. Like, the guys talking about they got robbed, uh, sort of acting like they've been hard done by. I get the frustration, but I didn't like how much of it they were pinning on the officials and how much they were pinning on things they couldn't control. Because, I mean, like I said earlier, if they had made fewer mistakes, if they had made more of those open threes, they absolutely could have won that game. And I think what they should have been talking about over the past couple of days, and I think they probably were, it's just how well they played and how they had a real shot to win that game and how even though the Warriors uh, took care of the ball exceptionally well, which is usually their bugaboo, um, that they almost won that game in regulation. So I think the Cavs have a lot to feel good about. They should not focus on what, what happened at the end of that game. But, it's, again, that's easy for me to say. I know how hard they took it. LeBron said it was one of the most difficult losses of his entire career. I have no idea what J.R. Smith and George Hill must be feeling right now. So uh, if, if it gets down to a close game situation um, in Game 2, they're going to have to play a little more poise, and they're going to have to absolutely forget about what happened last time. You know, Game 1 was close. We all enjoyed it. But a lot of the games in the playoffs have been complete blowouts. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the new style of play of the pace and space and shooting a lot of three-pointers and on defense getting everyone back instead of cross, uh, crashing the offensive glass. Uh, do you see a change in the way basketball is played where it's easier to get blown out where a lead that could be a five-point lead turns into a 15, 25-point lead on, on the drop of a hat? Do you see a difference in the way games are played now? I, I think it works both ways. Like I, I agree with your premise. There are these wild swings that happen now. I think when, when you watch these sort of like 10 nothing runs that happen in the course of a minute and a half, you're not totally shocked anymore. This is commonplace. Guys are shooting threes on the fast break as a matter of course. So that, that is just what you do. Ricky Rubio does that now. <laughs> like, like that, that, that is how the game works. You, have, you want to play really fast. You want to take open shots as soon as they present themselves. And I think that, that can be how big leads are created. But I think on the flip side, that's how big leads are overcome. Uh, this year, like, I, 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 I have no idea the numbers 
on this, but just like from a qualitative perspective, like I don't know how many games I watched where a team jumped out to like a 13-point lead in the first quarter, and and the other team had a double-digit lead in the second half. Like I, I think the the way the game has played, the pace, the three pointers has made it just a more high-variance game in general. So yes, you can build a big lead, but I think also those big leads are less secure than they used to be. You can follow him at Outside the NBA. James, thanks a lot for jumping on in for a few minutes. Anytime. James Herbert from CBS Sports, nice enough to join us here on ESPN at 1000. Chris, uh, yeah. being the, being the guy that follows the Warriors, if, if for some reason Clay can't go or can't be a hundred percent or can't be out there enough, who else, who, who replaces him? Is it Livingston? Um, and, and then you still, you know, have, have the guy in the middle who's, who's there, but not doing a whole lot in Looney. Um, is there another guy that needs to help out if, uh, you know, if, well, it, it's going to be a problem, obviously, if he can't go. Um, but you're going to get a lot more minutes from Nick Young. Okay. And how do you think his that that'll work? Is what? Swaggy P. Okay. Um, so Livingston will play more, but Nick Young's going to have to play a lot more as well. It's kind of a shame for this Warriors team that Patrick McCaw got hurt because McCaw would be the guy that would step in there with Livingston, but it's going to come down to Swaggy P. And and Clay's been really good on defense, and Nick Young is yeah. not playing any sort of defense. Well, we whatsoever. heard yeah, we heard that Dennis Rodman came to him. Well, in I mean, it depends on. I don't know who was in his dreams last night. I probably should have asked uh, James <laughs> Herbert, but uh, Nick Young, yeah, Nick Young is a defensive liability that Clay isn't. So you might be, and and you're not going to get the same offense. You're getting like a yeah. quarter of the player essentially. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to game one, there was a stretch of the game where both Nick Young and JaVale McGee were on the floor together, right? And they actually were playing good, engaged defense. Uh, but it was a shame that every, the only thing people yeah. remember about McGee is the the going up and having the rim stop him. Yeah, not the three times he stopped LeBron James right. and was out guarding him. Exactly. Yeah, I know. It's a shame because he did bust his tail. He worked hard to, you know, to, to do those things. And all of a sudden, everybody's laughing at him because he can't get the ball over the rim. But Fred, like, how long can you rely on those two on the floor? Yeah, not long. You can't. So, like, you know, a depleted Warriors team with Iggy and Clay Thompson not playing, if, if that's the case, that, that's going to really uh, level the playing field for the Cavaliers. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting. We got the game on for you tonight. Six o'clock pregame, you said, mm-hmm. right? Seven o'clock. The uh, tip in a Golden State, and we'll see how things go. There's there's something that happened the other day, and everybody was talking about it. Not only locally here in Chicago, but uh, all you know they were doing on the ESPN updates, and they made sure it was on all of the uh, channels. And uh, that was uh, Danny Farquhar, the uh, White Sox pitcher who had the brain aneurysm um, just six weeks ago. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, on Friday, he's throwing out the ceremonial first pitch with his whole team standing behind him. And not only that, but the nurses and doctors that had mm-hmm. took care of him. And uh, the most amazing thing, my, my brother-in-law had a um, uh, a brain aneurysm. And it's one of those things where they can actually, if it doesn't burst, they can actually go in and seal it. And it's, it's a bizarre wow. thing. It's like a bizarre thing that they can do. But he was fortunate that he was not home by himself watching TV or anything else. He was in the dugout. So professional guys, professional medical people could actually uh, help with him. But Farquhar, after he threw out the first pitch, Nate Jones caught it. And then Nate Jones went out and actually pitched well that night. Um, Farquhar talks about that uh, ceremonial first pitch. Yeah, 
I prepared myself for today, the thing that caught me off guard was the whole team coming out to the mound. Um, I thought that was an incredibly special moment. Whoever's decision that was, I'm sure it was James Shields. He's an incredible leader that we have. But um, that really caught me off guard, and that was probably the most special moment of, of the night for me. I, I have gotten lots of uh, text messages and gifts from guys I've never even played with before and teams that I have no idea who's on the team. And um, it's been very special to have baseball back me as much as they have. And, um, you know, it's a thing that me and my wife talked and, you know, we'd said, we said we would do the same thing, but it's just really special to have it happen to you. You saw, I mean, uh, other teams he played with. I mean, he played with Seattle and they had his jersey hanging up in their, in their bullpen and things like that. And it's just, it's amazing to see this guy. He's been all over. He, it's almost been like, you know, where in the world is, is Danny Farquhar? He, he, since he's been out of the hospital, he's been, yeah. you know, on the streets and in museums and other kinds of things and taking pictures. And it's, he's just happy to be alive. Good Morning and, America did a feature on him. Did they? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. That's right with Paula Ferris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it, it's absolutely amazing. And I wanted to make sure we got that in because it happened on Friday night. And a lot of times when stuff happens Friday night, they usually call it like the end of the news cycle. It's like that's when the Bears used to always raise their ticket prices. Yeah, right. Friday at like, <laughs> Friday at 4.30, so it wouldn't hit the newspapers, really, that people would read until, like, Sunday or Monday. Um, but uh, the thing with Danny Farquhar, and it didn't get a lot of pub, and, and rightfully so, because, uh, you know, it's... it's. I, I think all in all sports, I think the sports stick together. When you're, you know, you're on the court, you're on the field, and, um, you know, something bad happens to a teammate or to an opponent, everybody is really concerned. Except, maybe, Bears fans... Because yesterday, oh, I saw this. Yeah, yesterday uh-huh. at a charity softball game, <laughs> an offensive lineman from the Green Bay Packers took a swing, hit a line shot back, and it broke the nose of Packers linebacker Clay Matthews. Nah, I'm not sure how many of them. it's just a broken nose, and I know it's I'm saying just. Yeah, he said he's gonna have surgery and he'll be fine. Did you see the video? Yeah, I did. Hey, he took a ball to the wow. face. Like, he took a softball to the face. It was face. a rocket. Yeah. It was a rocket. The Immediately hit, walked off the field. The guy that hit the ball had to be 300 plus. <laughs> and he hit it. And oh, it's, it's softball. So you're standing, yeah. you know, 25 to 30 feet away from the guy. That sucks. That was a rocket. It could have been a lot worse. He's lucky it's just a broken nose. He's, yeah. it, to be honest, he's almost lucky it hit him there instead of at the top, you know, the forehand. Yeah. The major concussion. He may have gotten a concussion anyway from where he got hit. But uh, usually the nose will protect some of it, I think. Again, I'm not a doctor. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, he, he walked off. Just for him to be able to walk off. Yeah. Uh, I've never had a broken nose, but I, I can't imagine it was much fun. And, uh, yeah, that must have, I don't know if that put an end to the charity softball game <laughs> or if they continued after that. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's a shame that it got out there. It's a shame he didn't get his glove up in time. That's like when you're, you're playing with your buddies, you're playing pickup or you're playing, you know, uh, flag football and someone gets severely hurt. Yeah. And then they like take the person away and then you, you and your buddies are kind of standing around and you're like, so do we, do we, we finish? Do we continue do we playing? playing? That's yeah. what he would have wanted us to do. That's what he would have wanted. He would have wanted us to keep playing and drink some beers. Yeah, Let's he, go. He was here. He's that kind of guy. He would have done the same thing. You know, if you got hurt, he'd still be wanting to play. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, he tweeted last night or someone tweeted for I'm sure someone tweeted for him because I imagine that. He couldn't see his phone. Yeah. I mean, I imagine he's going to have a good uh, couple black eyes yeah, and all that stuff. Vision. And, he, and he's going to have to have surgery. So, I mean. I don't know. The Bears fans are really good concerned. Don't play about sports, him. kids. No, no, no. <laughs> don't play sports. Just sit kids. inside in a bubble. Your entire just e- life. Just esports.
Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, they the Chicago Fire did a thing where they showed this guy. Um, all the leagues are doing it. The NBA is doing it, playing uh, e-gaming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, they have their own leagues, yeah. Right. MLS did it. And every, uh, there was a player, a person from every team representing the team, and they had a big thing in Boston. And the guy that the Chicago Fire had came, and he played some of the Fire players, and they put out the video, and it, pfft, the Fire players were just like, okay, this is ridiculous. We yeah, people are ridiculously good at them, and they make a ton of money doing it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of them do, and it's absolutely amazing. We come back. Another guy that makes a ton of money. If it's not uh, reporting on the Cubs, it's uh, writing books about Joe Madden. Jesse Rogers will join us when we come back. He's in New York for the final game of their seven-game road trip. Uh, they are, uh, let's see, they're doing pretty well right now, if I'm not mistaken. They're 5-1, uh, and one, so that's pretty good. I'm still shocked that Jesse wrote a book. Well... That's what they say. Eric laughed in the other room. That's all Jesse I care about. Jesse wrote a book? Yeah. Jesse wrote a book. I, I didn't hear about this book before. <laughs> so we'll talk about the Cubs and their big win as they wrap up their road trip. They get a day off tomorrow, and then Philadelphia comes to town. They will not catch Jake Arrieta. We'll talk about that and much more when we come back. It's Black Abdallah Hubner here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day. Slash to right center field. Albert Almora breaks through for the Cubs. Drops one to the base of the wall. One run is in. Schwarber sent it for the plate. He scores. And the Cubs have taken a 3-1 lead. Elmora lines up at third. And for now, is the hero on the 14th. This is Chicago's game day. Only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. Fred Huebner, Chris Black, Adam Abdallah. Big game, two of the NBA Finals tonight here on ESPN 1000. We'll get to Jesse in just one second. We're going to do this right now. You've been listening. You've been waiting. You can't wait. UFC 225, June 9th at the United Center. Total of 13 fights on the card. You can get uh, tickets courtesy of Metro PCS. Love Metro PCS. Get peace of mind. Metro PCS wireless figured out. Callers five and six right now. You each get a pair of tickets to the uh, UFC 225. Whitaker against Romero two. CM Punk is going against some guy named Jackson. Chicago's CM Punk. That's right. Chicago's CM Punk. And uh, so callers five and six. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. Get a couple of tickets coming up. A week from yesterday, June 9th at the United Center. This guy's coming up right now. He's a busy guy. He didn't get a lot of sleep. He's probably cranky. It's Jesse Rogers. Hello, Jess. All of the above. You're right, Fred. All of the above. So don't tick me off, Adam. (laughs) Well, you knew that was going to be coming. Listen, um, uh, we'll go with the lineup first for today, and then we can always backtrack and what have. I don't mind giving one of my stars off. But Joe's given both Bryant and Rizzo the day off. Fred, I told you, your, hor- your horse is in there. Baez is playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, <laughs> any explanation from Joe on those, on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, Rizzo was a scheduled day because the lefty's on the mound. Um, Joe really likes to use the uh, the scheduled off day tomorrow. You know, he does this often with another off day, combine them. So it's almost like two and a half ga- days because uh, they don't play till Tuesday night. So Rizzo was scheduled. Now, if you watched Bryant last week and uh, last night and actually all week, it's it's not surprising he's out as well. He was one per eight with four Ks, I think. And he has just looked a little ragged all week long. You know, coming off, remember, the Sunday night, Monday game, uh, and then playing all week. I just, I, I, I'm not surprised. In fact, I thought he, he should have had a day off before this. 
So, I mean, I suppose if he had yesterday or the day before off, then he'd be playing today and they wouldn't have Rizzo and Brian out. But then again, you don't know you're playing 14 innings. So it is what it is. And the lineup does look look a little strange versus Steve Matz, who's a lefty. Almora leads off. Hayward batting second. Baez, Contreras, Hap, Schwarber and left. Russell, Lestella at second. And Lester is pitching. Baez, uh, again, at third. So three lefties in there, and none of them named Anthony Rizzo against Matz. Who's a you know pretty good lefty? We've seen him be dominant in the past. He's having an okay start to this season. Jesse, last night, uh, fourteen innings oh. and two really good performances from Mike Montgomery and Luke Farrell. What, what do you think about those two going out there and giving a lot of innings to this bullpen? Yeah, I mean it was absolutely impressive, and I, and I just like the atmosphere around the team, whether that's Joe or Theo or just the team in general. There's a guy like Mike Montgomery who popped off in the off season a little bit, wants to start, but. Once spring training came around, he you know he put team first, and the Cubs didn't let him. I don't know what the word is, just you know, uh, get down and all that stuff. But he knew his chance would cut would come. They reminded him it would come, and here he is taking the bull by the horns. Two great starts in a row, and then even Luke Farrell. And I asked Al Moore last night. I mean, he gives up two back to back walk off home runs in St. Louis, gets demoted, comes back up. Uh, he's basically the last man in the bullpen. Uh, but the team rallies around him. And I don't just mean last night, but just even when he lost those games in St. Louis and when he comes back up, they 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 really do. I know it's a cliche, treat the, 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 the stars like the 25th man, the 25th man like he's a star. They, they do that. And this is where it pays off. The guy was really confident, came up with probably his best effort in the major leagues. Um, and, uh, yeah, extremely impressive when you're talking about that whole team. Uh, you know, five relievers being down, basically, and they, they, they were able to survive and win the game. Um, the Mets not so good on offense, but you got to give credit to these sort of second tier pitchers. They came up big. Hey Jesse, uh, did you know that Albert Almora should be starting every day in center field? I have never heard that before. Okay, but after okay. a two run double, everybody started tweeting at me. So he, <laughs> they get their wish. He's starting today. <laughs> well, you know, and the the thing with Almora. How embarrassed was he, or how much were they riding him for trying to crack the bat over his leg and then not really doing it? Did he change his mind halfway down? He didn't explain the whole thing, but he did say um, that they were giving him a lot of lot of lot of business. You know what I mean? They were yeah. busting him big time. He even tweeted about it. So he 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 he's like. And by the way, Almora is one of the nicest guys. I mean, he is just a great guy, solid guy in all ways, and can laugh at himself. I and mean, he's 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 the kind of guy you want to go have a drink with or have dinner. He's just a fun guy to be around, really, really nice to everybody. So he can laugh at himself, and he did. But, you know, he was down on himself, struck out three times, and then he comes up with a big hit. I mean, you just you got to play it all the way out. You could have an awful night and, um, you know, come out of it on top if you, if you finish off strong, and that's what, exactly what he did in his last at-bat. I know that I asked you earlier this week about uh, the Cubs – um, missing Jake Arrieta, who's actually going today, so he will not be pitching against the Cubs. Have you have you had a chance? I know it's been they've been interesting games the last couple of days, so you probably haven't talked to many of them about this. But has anybody else said anything about not facing Jake in this three game series coming up? Ian Happ said no comment, but he had a smile on his face. Now his best friend on the team was Tommy Lestell, and he's like, I wanted that guy. I wanted to take that. Um, he's a funny name for him. I don't know if I can say it, but he called. Uh, Careful, don't uh, say something, it. Something, yeah, exactly. But he, they're, they're good friends, so they bust on each other. Tommy really wanted to play against him. I bet Joe would have started him against Arietta. I really do. Um, so, uh, but but uh, so many, uh, you know, I was talking to a bunch of players. So many, so much respect for him 
everything he did inside, outside the, the that locker room, on the mound and everything. And he was one of these David Ross-type guys. People don't realize, not so much the taskmaster, if that's the right word, that Ross used to be in terms of playing the game the right way, but what Arietta was off the field was, was, was that kind of guy in the sense that uh, he went to everybody and, and befriended them and made them feel important. And whether you were a guy coming up from the minors or whatever, I've seen him out. I, I used to see him out with Addison Russell, Lestella, pitchers, catchers. It didn't matter. Um, he would take Pierce Johnson back in the day before they released him under his wing. Just anybody and everybody. And that's what the me- you know a lot of the memories from these guys were. Not so much on the mound, but of course, um, I always think of Jake as the guy. Uh, you can draw, draw a straight line between the Cubs ascending in 15 with his ascension. You know, like when the Cubs sort of made their mark on the uh, in the baseball world, he was doing the same. So I associate the rise of the Cubs with the rise of Jake and vice versa. Uh, but nothing but great things to say about him. And, of course, there'll be a tribute Tuesday and all that stuff. I, I, I can't imagine a player coming back without getting a bigger applause than him. You know what I mean? He... He, think about it, he's the first world champion, in a sense, to come back and play for another team. You know, David Ross got his day, but along with Fowler. But I think that Arietta is going to be going to get the loudest one. So um, I just, you know, mad respect for him from everybody in that locker room. Jesse, uh, something we were kicking around earlier about the rotation is Mike Montgomery, really good last night again. Two starts now filling in in the rotation has been really good. If he keeps pitching well, like, how, what are the Cubs going to do with the rotation when you Darvish comes back? They say more than likely Montgomery is going to go back in the bullpen, but why? That, that's what you say today. Today, you know, you don't you don't crush the guy's hopes today. Um, I, I think you let this thing play out, and they they make a decision at a, at a, at a later date when they have to. In other words, um, there's always ways to work things. Someone else uh, has a, needs a break. Um, they add the sixth man for a little bit through, you know, up until the all-star break or whatever, We're only a month away, from, you know, five weeks away from the all-star break. So I can't imagine if he has another, let's say two starts similar to what he's done already. And then Darvish comes back. I just can't imagine him going back there unless Chatwood and Darvish are just mowing people down. So it's just too early to say, but as of today, the claim is that, you know, he'd probably go, uh, you know, back to the bullpen, um, but they're not saying that. I mean, I don't mean the claim. I, the, the strategy is he'd probably go back to the bullpen, but they're not going to say that to him yet. I think it's got to play itself out. But, man, they, they've, they've been desperate for starting pitching, and now that he's getting stretched out, I, I, I can't see him going back. But I could be wrong. We'll see. Jesse, you were at the game, so you didn't get to hear the sweet tones of Joe Davis and John Smoltz <laughs> on the broadcast yesterday. But once they got to extras, they, John Smoltz kept on talking about how Baseball needs to do something about the extra innings. You're around the team every day. Obviously, Bryant's off today, so is Rizzo, but that was scheduled. You said Bryant looks tired because he needs a nap. Uh, how does these extra inning games affect a team like this uh, going into today's early start and for the next couple weeks, and what do you think baseball should do to try to fix it? Yeah, I mean, this is more of a recent problem. and I'm not. I mean, Madden has asked, us reporters about it, and I haven't, I haven't really done a lot of investigating, meaning are there more extra inning games? And by the way, I, that, that Smoltz stuff got got to me, you know, through various you know people telling me about it, and I guess people are pretty upset with him. I mean, you're, you're broadcasting a game, just let it play out, right? I mean, um, you know, sometimes we complain in the press box about the length of games and stuff, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I You know, Jed Hoyer would tell you 
um, add a, add a twenty six man the day after a game that goes more than twelve innings. You're allowed to do that. Something of that manner. Then again, you got to fly a guy in, right? There's um, I don't I don't know I don't know if anything should be done to be honest. I I kind of like that part of the game where okay now you got to figure out how to win today with with guys that are tired, but on both sides. And I love the fact that yesterday Joe had to figure out how to win with five relievers down, basically, although he, he pitched more at the end. I think that's kind of the cool part of baseball. Now, it's changed because it's sort of getting even tougher for managers because these starters aren't going as deep. Um, you know, there's more, more of these flame-throwing relievers that might need a day off or two days off. You know, whereas when they were throwing 85 back in the day, they could pitch three, four days in a row. There's just, the game has changed in that way, so maybe it is tougher to play deep into extra innings, but I kind of like how do you survive that. In fact, this is what, one reason why I think this has been one of the best weeks. It, not one of them. This has been the best week of the season for the Cubs. If you go back to Sunday, they played that home Sunday night and then Monday Memorial Day after traveling, and they've just played great baseball week. Granted, the strikeouts were there last night, but they won the game. I love that. I love surviving and finding a way to win and then surviving the next day and trying to get yourself to an off day. And, yeah, maybe you sacrifice a game once in a while. So, um, I'm not sure what they're going to do, but that, that's the suggestion. Like, if you play deep into the game, you, you, you get a roster spot or two. Um, the other obvious thing is after 12 innings, the game's tied, something like that. But I don't think we're going to get to that. Do you think you should get to write 100 less words after a 14-inning game? I think every inning after the ninth, is that's the way it should be. 100, 100 less okay. every inning after the ninth. So like yeah, if, you watch, see my, if you see my story last night, it wasn't very long. <laughs> <laughs> it was just 24 strikeouts, 17 hits. They win. They set this record. They set this milestone, and they win. Uh, second team. Uh, I mean, they're, they're the only team this year to strike out more than twenty times in two games, twenty or more times, and they're just the third team to ever do it twice in a season. I mean, there's all sorts of crazy marks that they achieved last night, but they won the game. Is it's all amazing. Yep. And it just. I mean, I was talking to Brandon Moore, who wasn't supposed to pitch, and it's just amazing how baseball works. They, they were down to you know their B level relievers, five of them down technically. And, of course, that's the day they play 14 innings. Any other day they could have survived. But Joe and the organization, it's not just Joe, just deem that, okay, there's no dunting, there's no stroke, there's no seat shack, they, they can't, we can't keep stretching them. And, of course, the game goes 14 innings. So it was, it was unbelievable to watch. And that, it, that 14th inning was crazy. Just uh, Al Moore and then Bias comes off the bench finally. And just the whole night was, uh, I mean, as Joe said, if you lose that, it sucks. But if you win, you feel great about it. Well, and plus, as we let you go, Jess, it may have been Abdallah that mentioned this, but I think the over-under on the game was seven yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the Cubs scored six. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, the Cubs scored six to make it to make it eight yesterday. So, uh, yeah, six runs in the 14th inning. So, Jess, oh, funny. enjoy the game. Uh, it's Lester. Hopefully it's a nice, quick game where you can get out of New York, even though New York loves you, from what I understand. <laughs> So. Yeah, I took a I took a bite out of the Big Apple. I will tell you, I will say that I took Easy. a couple bites. There you go, uh, Jess. Thanks a lot for jumping on. Talk to you soon. Okay, guys. See ya, <laughs> Jesse Rogers. Nice enough to join us after taking a bite out of the Big Apple. Yeah, I mean, uh, whatever that means. We, okay, buy well, dinner first. Oh. <laughs> we'll, we'll you got it, Fred. We all tell you as you did. We'll, we'll come back and wrap this thing up. Black of Dalla Huebner here on ESPN One Thousand. My life be like. Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Solonyak, Gordon is there. Alan Gordon makes it.
make it three straight, scoring Alan Gordon does it again. Gordon with that much space running into the box. Great service in by Solniak. And nothing the goalkeeper Tarbell could do that. That's a great finish. Squarely to Schweinsteiger. Bronico now approaching the penalty area. Katai fires. Alexander Katai make it 2-0. Chicago fire. Ah, Dan Kelly, Frank Lopez on the call on ESPN Plus last night as the Chicago Fire get a 2-1 win over San Jose out at Toyota Park. They've got U.S. Uh, Open Cup action this Wednesday in uh, Columbus, and then they host New England next Saturday. And uh, Adam is excited because the World Cup is coming up, and it appears that his man will be playing, right? Mo Hopefully. Will I don't be know healthy. how effective. I wouldn't, if I were... Uh, the Egyptian national team, I would not play him in the first game against uh, Uruguay because I think they're going to lose that game anyway and just try to beat Russia and Saudi Arabia. So you would pass in the first game? I'd huh? pass in the first game just to give him a couple extra days of rest. Hey. Unless you think you can draw with Uruguay, but I don't think you're beating him. You listen, you play foot, you play soccer with your feet. So he's got a dislocated shoulder. What's the big deal? Yeah, what's the deal, Abdallah? It's not a dislocated <laughs> shoulder. He strained some ligaments. He strained oh, some wow. ligaments. And uh, big thank you for the Chicago Fire for hitting the over last night. Yeah. Big, big ups to them. Well, they actually, uh, it was uh, 1-1, and then they got that goal late, and they had another goal, another shot that went off the post, and then it was rebounded by the Fire, and they took a shot where a, the defender came in behind the goalkeeper and stopped the ball. On the line. So it could have been an easy cover for you. So, uh, yeah. So just a 2-1 victory for the fire. And it was, uh, it was nice. They needed a win. So, uh, so I, I know what Adam's doing. He's just doing nothing and waiting for basketball tonight. <laughs> and, and Chris, you get to, you get to, uh, sit and talk to Capman for a few hours. Yeah. Travel buddy. Uh, we're flying to Bristol, Connecticut. Uh, Cap will be on goal. can wingo tomorrow morning at 8.30. And then he'll do a show from Bristol, uh, tomorrow. And How then long we'll is the come flight? Back. Like two and a half hours. He's going to convince you to do rim to rim the entire time. No, dude, no, no. First of all, here's the deal. And headphones if he, on. If he doesn't know this already, he'll learn quickly. I'm not talking during the flight. No, nope, we don't talk during flights. <laughs> all right, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to listen to a podcast. I'm going to re-listen to this show. No, you're not. I'm not talking, and I'm not doing the rim to rim. So you don't get that out of your mind. You don't Kathy. talk on flights. Huh? You just sleep or listen yeah, to sleep. Yeah. I go to oh, sleep. Yeah, sleep on flights. I take advantage of sleep. Yeah, we were late last night. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we were. Uh, Thanks to David DeJesus, James Herbert from CBS Sports, and Jesse Rogers, also Eric Ostrowski for all of his help. It's Black Abdallah Hubner on ESPN One Thousand.